So yeah, it's actually it's like quite a, a drawn out title to be honest. It's um fundraising events and campaigns, uh leave at Cranston. You know, and it, it's it's a it's a role that, you know, is about promoting the organization as a whole, you know, promoting our strategies, so through campaigns, through events, um, you know, in terms of campaigning for change for the wider, you know, policy change throughout the UK so that we can you know, essentially do things that, that, that need to be done, like deliver things like, um, you know, provide diet working to people who are dependent on uh, street heroin, so, you know, pharmaceutical heroin, essentially, um, you know, do things like overdose prevention centres, um, provide those in areas where people are publicly injecting, and, uh, you know, part of my job as well is that I'm trying to raise some funds for the organisation so that, you know, that we can go out and do these things because in the past, past these these types of organisations who, you know, like Cranston, who deliver frontline services have always been relying on um, commissioned contracts and we'd like to do things. Of course, we, we still want to do that type of work, you know, where we deliver frontline services to people, um, but we'd like to do things a little differently and, and, and be able to go out and, and do stuff that's that's unique, that's not been done, unique in this country that's not been done, that we've learned from international uh, best practice in other countries. Well, here you go, folks. This is week two of trying this new thing, so we're going to go in instead of a cold open now. There you go. There's, there's a little bit of background. Hopefully a teaser. Hopefully now you're going to be very interested to hear all about Peter and his work. Um, this isn't actually his first visit to us. It's a second one. It's been nearly, God, nearly three years. January 2021, I think. Uh, you were one of the right. first, first guests that I had on the podcast. So I'm really interested to uh, hear about uh, what you've been up to and what is sort of going on in your world, as it were. Uh, but before then, uh, somebody dropped a comment not that long ago in a video asking about Gary Hughes. Uh, I went to visit him this weekend in prison. He's in a category, uh, category D open prison now, so he is in a much better environment. Um, he seems to be thriving in it. He looks very well, very healthy, very happy. I have some very good news to report. Uh, he is looking to be released on TAG in February, early February of 2024. Um, and yeah, uh, it was just great to see him, great to catch up with him. Uh, he's very eager as we are and have been trying for a while to get him a script inside. Um, but the uh, systems at play are not quite allowing us to do that. So basically, uh, we're going to throw a party for Gary when we pick him up and we're going to get him straight to his doctors, get him a script and make sure that when uh, the tag man comes around, he's not getting in any trouble when uh, Gary is out, hopefully this time. The last time he needs to go inside uh, and basically sacrifice himself for our sins, as it were, as a cannabis community, because he has, well, frankly, has served us for like two decades at this point, uh, trying to give us uh, as a culture and as a loose community a space to consume and to get together. So, yeah. There's my little update on him, Gary. And don't worry, he will be back on uh, mid-February. Already booked him in on a slot uh, just after Valentine's Day to record on the podcast, so you'll get to hear from the man himself then. All right, let's jump straight over then into today's guest, who is a Scottish direct action activist who operated the UK's first mobile safe injection site and overdose prevention centre in Glasgow. Uh, he is, as well as you've just heard there, the fundraising lead, and I can't remember what he said on the other one, charity lead... Uh, Cranston, who are a social justice and harm reduction charity founded way back in 1969. How are you doing, Peter Crykent? Very well, thank you very much. Very well, yeah. It's been a super busy year and uh, looking forward now really to uh, a little bit of relaxation over Christmas and New Year this year. Excellent, yeah, we are 
quickly getting there, aren't we? Obviously, the darker nights. I'm not complaining about the weather. You cannot mark that off your bingo card, folks. Um, <laughs> obviously, the clocks have changed. It's, it's a bit darker. I'm the same. It's we're winding down, prepping for next year. But um, I think you've earned a, a well-earned break this year. Um, obviously, you've been up to a hell of a lot. I keep up with you on social media, and basically every time I've looked for the past several months, you've been all over the bloody world. So, uh, <laughs> what have you been up to, brother? How's how's things going? Yeah, um, bro. I mean. This year has just been, uh, yeah, it's been a lot, a lot of traveling, a lot of uh, conferences, a lot of campaigning, you know, a lot of TV, a lot of media, um, newspaper articles. You know, the earlier this year in, in um, April, I was lucky enough to get to, to travel out to the Harm Reduction International Conference out in Melbourne, Australia, and uh, lucky enough to, to present at that conference. Um, you know, that's been followed by trips to Strasbourg to present at the annual drug consumption room conference and then um, trips to Denmark to uh, campaign and, and visit uh, facilities over there, drug user unions over there. And uh, just recently a trip over to Phoenix, Arizona to present uh, to be part of the Drug Policy Alliance conference and uh, trips down to Mexico, Mexicali and Tijuana to, to visit uh, drug consumption rooms and uh, support services for people who use drugs in, in those cities, which, you know, is eye-opening. You know, those, those trips were really eye-opening. I'm sure we'll get into them a little bit further into the podcast. But, yeah, super, super busy year. And, um, you know, obviously as well as the, 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 the travel for work, uh, my, my partner lives in Barcelona. Um, so, you know, a lot of trips um, not work-related back and forward to uh, Barcelona and uh, Mallorca as well. And, you know, some cool things managed to get out to the Mallorca Live Festival this year and uh, see uh, the Chemical Brothers and the Cooks and the Black Eyed Peas were the three med- main headline acts. And, uh, yeah, so busy year, but and it's probably a little bit early to talk about Christmas, but to be honest, I'm just looking to forward to a couple of weeks um, of uh, kicking back and relaxation. Yeah, I bet, I bet. I mean, we're still beating the supermarkets to add their shit out, I think, before Halloween this year. So, um, yeah. yeah, we're doing all right. We can we can mention Christmas. We can mention it. Uh, we're not going to play any bloody Mariah Carey songs on uh, this podcast. So don't worry, <laughs> folks. Don't worry, don't worry. Um, no, that, that is, that, that's awesome. I mean, let's sort of wind this back a bit. Obviously, I'll direct people to episode 13 in the links below, guys. Uh, that's where you can get sort of our, the first conversation me and Peter had. So that's more of the in-depth of what you had previously done. But what I'd kind of like to ask you now is the evolution. So sort of, I think last time we spoke, you uh, had just got the ambulance and that had been converted and you were having uh, some issues with the police and uh, sort of trying to cancel your insurance. Um so yeah can you tell us sort of where you've gone sort of from there to here it seems like it's gone a, a real extreme swing from one to the other of literally it feels like the apparatus of the state trying to crush your best efforts to the the world now kind of recognizing you and going no this man's doing some some real good yeah i mean the the the, the whole like unsanctioned overdose prevention site that i ran in glasgow you know it was it was the most challenging time in my life you know where it, um, it was obviously unsanctioned. You know, there was no, there was no official sort of source for funding for that 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 service. You know, the 
there was obviously lots of media and attention around all of that. That you know, obviously, I didn't have a team of people around me to help with that. Um, you know, the the, the 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 interaction with the police, uh, you know, the interaction with the media, and and ultimately, obviously, the, the the people that were coming regularly to inject drugs in the back of the van, you know, like we couldn't we couldn't really support them with a you know the whole holistic approach that you'd like to be able to offer people who are you know unhoused and injecting drugs. Um, you know, in these like really horrible conditions, you know, like some of the services I've visited over the last few years has placed me in a position running that service where I've got a public profile. You know, that's mm -hmm. the that's the main thing. You know, I've got this public profile where, you know, I've been able to get a large social media following. I've been able to get get on to just in the last you know couple of months as well. I've been able to do a lot of like constantly over the last three years, but this the last couple of months be on live TV a couple of times up here in Scotland, you know, get into these spaces which people who use drugs don't often get into, you know, and and, and I feel like I've got a duty to, to, to take what I've done there with the van. Now now that Scotland's said that the, 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 the we will have an official um, facility and it's been approved by the Scottish Lords Advocate, the profile I've got I've got a duty to 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 you know really emphasize the point about the war on drugs, you know, which is essentially a war on people, you know, and that failed narrative now that we've that we've had for such a long time, which is, you know, not just punishing people for their, their own rights and their own bodily autonomy, but also, you know, punishing society as a whole, you know, like we're we're spending so much money on sending people to prison and this right-wing narrative that, that drug use is bad, you know, and some of that is drug exceptionalism as well, you know, like having just been out to California and uh, Arizona where cannabis is, is legal, um, you know, you can, you can go in and uh, not directly buy magic mushrooms but buy the extracts from magic mushrooms in the, the, the shops and stuff. You know, we need to be, um, as I believe as a drug using community, you know, we need to be banding together and not have that drug exceptionalism because let's get it right, heroin is a plant-based medicine. Yeah, that's going to piss off a lot of people, but it is 100% fucking true. Yeah. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. It's this, this drug exceptionalism you speak of is something that has boiled my piss for a long time in this space. I mean, I initially started this as a, as a, well, yeah, just a drug law abolitionist, effectively. I was quite a radical. I was like, no, you, you give it to the people. We'll figure out our shit. If there's any problems after the fact, then you can have some sort of intervention. Yeah. But it's, it's no different than somebody going to the doctor with obesity or whatever else. So you don't then challenge the food or whatever the thing you allow people the freedom and the option and give them best education and practice ideal mm. ideally ideally obviously um but yeah, the, yeah that narrative of what's happening sort of with cannabis is over here it's now it used to be drugs and alcohol and now there's like drugs alcohol cannabis and then oh maybe psychedelics or these other kind of quite often ill-fitting terms that are there because of the potential profitability of these these substances i mean ultimately they're packaged and come in the guise of well, look we can help these people we can help these people and that is true that is no one's denying that but it's the yeah. the motivation and the apparatus behind it 
that is is so hard to critique because then you do hear people go, so don't don't piss on our parade. You know, that's you've got you and you've got yours and whatever else. And it's I agree there has to be a a, a unifying call to people that consume drugs. And I would ideally say that would include caffeine, that would include sugar, that would include alcohol, tobacco. It's we have yeah. a right to do these things, and if we still are informed that they may cause cancer, they may cause addiction, they may cause da 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 da. da we still have, should have that free right. And and there's a lot of people have lost that idea. And as you see, you're seeing, especially in the West Coast of America, like this kind of corporate, egoic, hippy-dippy, microdose mechanism that kind of uh, manifested out of Silicon Valley who kind of took LSD and the idea of, you know, expanding your, your universe and moving forward to, no, no, let's microdose it to improve productivity. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's... yeah, I get you, and like that—that's kind of what I've seen. You know, I see that. Like, you go into the cannabis dispensaries. You know, it's very commercialized in the, the, the certainly the, the two states where I've visited cannabis dispensaries. You know, it's a very commercialized industry already. Um, you know, it's it's, it's completely socially acceptable, and it's kind of like you pull cannabis out of what was previously a, an unex, just another unacceptable drug into this accept, acceptable society um, alongside alcohol alcohol and um, tobacco and caffeine and sugar, etc. And at the same time as pulling cannabis out of the, the unacceptability, I think you're, what I am worried about is that other drugs are being pushed into the less acceptability area. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, you know, drugs that are... Um, you know that again that term drug exceptionalism where you know in the commercialization and i think there's much better models as we move towards regulation than the, the american or the canadian model of regulation which is primarily i know there's some good examples of regulation you know in, in new york and in, in certain parts of uh, canada there's some good examples of regulation but i think you know the, the the examples that we should be looking at is much more the social club model you know the model where people who are currently consumers of cannabis in the UK are the people that are involved in the industry. You know, that the, the social clubs can be set up and run by people who consume cannabis and the cannabis can be grown by the experts, you know, and they're not for profit. You know, they're looking at, um, you know, building the community around it, you know, like, and not, um, <clears throat> not just another tobacco and alcohol industry, you know, and, 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 and again, it's like, I look at the, the drug user movements in other countries, and this is the point, this is the point for me in the UK, where, like, we are so far behind, you know, because you've got, uh, you know, in places like Canada, where you've got Vandu, and then you've got, like, in Catalonia, you've got the, the Catalan network of people who use drugs, you know, you've got uh, the psychedelic and the, and the, the cannabis community pulling together with drug users from other types of drug users from other communities and going out in marches together. You know, I was just out in uh, Catalonia on the 27th of uh, July this year, which is International Drug Users Remembrance Day, you know, and you've got the cannabis and the psychedelic and the ketamine community marching alongside people who use heroin and cocaine and other types of drugs. And you know, demonstrating with them outside the city hall, you know, like, and, and, and being together as a community. And I worry that we've not got that togetherness here in the UK. 
They're obviously, you know, we're a million miles away from, um, in my opinion, we're a million miles away from reform for any type of drugs, you know, like, mm. as we were discussing before we went live, you know, like, with the nitrous oxide, you know, like, laughing gas now being moved from, you know, moved into being a, a criminalised substance, you know, primarily consumed by young kids, what are we going to do making that a criminal substance, you know, like, mm. all we're going to do is criminalise young kids, you know, give them criminal records which can potentially follow them about the rest of their lives, you know, like, mm -hmm. and then that's another frustration when you look at some of the regulation in the States, you know, you go into, into um, you know, like, uh, places like Phoenix, you know, Arizona, as an example, where cannabis is now regulated, you've got dispensaries everywhere, but you've got tens of, you know, thousands and thousands of people still sitting in prison for cannabis-related offences, you know, at the same time as, like, Joe Boggs can now walk in and order thirty percent THC or twenty percent THC, you know whatever whatever percentage of THC you want. But there's some young kid still serving another two years in a prison for selling some THC. You know it's 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 a yeah. upside down world we live in, man. It it's it it really is. It it, and this is where I, I take flack uh, for I guess politicizing the situation but ultimately it is a political situation and to me it's yeah. under the current form of neoliberal capitalism every problem can only be solved is only allowed to be solved if it has a profit margin yeah. and, and that's that's the issue they've suddenly found a way that wait whoa, whoa, whoa. we can have both them people on the street that grow it in their bedrooms that's skunk and it's dangerous and they're, they're crazy people but our wonderful friends that happen to be giving us all of this money and backhanders and jobs for the boys, that's magic stuff. That they're in white coats. And it, it's, yeah. it's classism defined. And it's the drug war for me has always been a class war because it, the higher up you are, it becomes a fine. You just have yeah. to pay that, that unbelievably good lawyer. You have to then have gone to the good school and go, oh, Your Honor, you know, our Jeremy, you know, he doesn't deserve a drug conviction. He went to Eton. Do, do mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's that kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. bullshit that predicates this. And they're coming along as our persecutor and now going, oh, no, 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 you're, you're right, you're right. We'll protect you now. We'll sort everything and take away from us the, the culture that we have built in opposition to them, the, the defiance that has defined our lives. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I am, I am every much everything that has been done to me by the system as I am the experiences I have sought as an individual more so in some ways because i've lived under this war for i've been a drug user all of my adult life multitude yeah. of drugs i happily identify as so because <clears throat> to me it is repugnant it is immoral of me to lie about that i do a disservice to everybody that sacrificed themselves before me and to anybody that will come after me hopefully not many fucking more but unless we we tackle this idea of commercialization they're gonna take this to the nth fucking degree and then yes. it's going to cause a reactionary thing and go, well, oh, my God, we have to stop this. And it's like, well, all we asked for was the small community of people that are persecuted, that are demonized and vilified to have it ceased. You guys came along and went, hmm, what if we make everybody smoke weed? And yeah. do you know, that's a controversial point. I say as somebody in this space and what I do. But I, I think everybody should have an opportunity to. Same with like DMT and other things. But I do not want to see fucking DMT sold on every street corner. I don't want to see yeah. Tesco value cannabis. So I, I, I think there should be some forms of separation that allow for the gradual reintegration of things. So 
in the states, for example, they sell their bit like liquor, liquor, depending on what's the states in separate shops. And I'm not saying that we should do the same in the UK, but then when we changed our licensing laws, the 24-hour licensing laws, and you know the cafe culture that we were promised, mm-hmm. and this this European sophistication uh, that never really <laughs> yeah. mater- that never materialized. We saw what that did. Then what? Ten years later, we had to ban. Uh, those three liter bottles of cider. I used to enjoy Scrumpy Jacks when I was a teenager. You know, it, it got you there. It got you. That's for sure. Jesus yeah. Christ, it burnt when it came back up. But yeah. the, the, the you can see how it's always a reaction, and they haven't to then deal with their reaction because they're just not fucking listening to the lived experience of the people who are like, yeah, here's the majority of us. We took these drugs, and nothing bad happened. And the reason yeah. nothing bad happened to us is yeah they weren't contaminated we were lucky enough that it wasn't a contaminated supply yeah we were lucky enough that you know we had people around us that were educated and aware we were informed and knew how to use harm reduction techniques to ensure that we would wouldn't end up in a difficult situation and then on the other fucking side of the spectrum is the people who were continually harmed by this because they don't know how to play the wink wink game do you know what i mean going yeah. into, into a, a nightclub that knows you're doing drugs but do you know and if you get jittery or whatever 10 people in front of you get in with their drugs you act a bit odd, whatever they call the police, and you have this whole thing, and your life's fucking all of a sudden ruined. And it's yeah. the same thing I see with, again, drug exceptionalism, the prescription pots and cannabis, of this yeah. idea that that makes it magic, and you're safe, and you can go in and look at me, look at me, and then the other guy that doesn't have that protection, and it's the, the, we're missing the point. If it's correct that it can have benefit to people, then leave the fucking people alone. Yeah, Don't course. run them through this racketeering system, you know? Yeah, and we've been benefiting from like <clears throat> these types. You know, like people have been benefiting from from drugs for as long as you know societies existed. You know, and like we've been, uh, you know, as a as as a, a person who's used all types of drugs across all the spectrums of drugs. You know, like we've been we we now talk about this psychedelic rena- rena- renaissance. You know, like we talk about you know, the potential for drugs like MDMA to provide therapy for people. I mean, we've been providing our own therapy for years, you know, like in the in the 90s, you know, the 80s and the 90s, people were going out and, you know, getting high together, you know, and having joyful times together, you know, and providing that therapy with community built into it together, not in a, sitting in a, in a room somewhere, you know, and... and you know, being monitored for you do it. And it's exactly the same now with, with how we talk about certain drugs and how we provide that, um, you know, inverted commas treatment to people. You know, we talk about, and I, uh, I you know, I'd love to see um, more like pharmaceutical heroin or diamorphine, as we call, call it, transdent available for people right across the UK, you know, to take away, you know, the dangers of the illicit supply chain, you know, the, the, the drugs that are coming in at the moment are much more dangerous than they ever were when I was, when I've been using heroin in the past, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the new synthetic opioids that are starting to show up, we've just seen the reports that there's been a 95% reduction in the opium supply and the opium currently uh, being grown in Afghanistan, where, where most of our heroin comes from. So, you know, there could be, you know, the, the, that, the, the thinking is that there is some in reserve at the moment, but, you know, it could get less and less as we get into next year and, and, and you know, about a year down the line. So the, the, the drug supply is going to become more tainted. These mitzazines that we're seeing just now, are even, they're, they're a synthetic opioid, but they're even stronger than fentanyl, which has been the driver of the overdose crisis in North America over the last seven or eight years. 
So what I'd like to see is much more pharmaceutical heroin, but the way that we talk about it right now is that it's a diamorphine-assisted treatment. So the only way that it can be provided, and it's only in two locations in, in the U UK at the moment, is that people who are injecting heroin every day, they come in and then they're supervised when they're injecting their twice a day to inject their pharmaceutical heroin. So what we're essentially saying is, okay, you're injecting heroin every day, but in order for to get um, heroin that we know is clean, that we know is not not you know fully you know adulterates, is we've got to supervise you doing it. You know, it's like what I get that this is the only option at the moment because it's not available on a take home, but you know it's so frustrating. You know, this, this, this people should be able to access. This right across the UK without the, yeah. the constraints. Sorry, can, can I ask though why it's why it's not available? I mean, I, I'm trying to think what I saw the other day. I watch a lot of or I have a lot of things in the background when I'm working. I think it was a Channel Four uh, documentary. Is it Sixty Days On? Uh, three part about council estates. And there's a guy up in Glasgow, uh, and he was talking about when he had his uh, methadone. And he had this takeaway bottle, and he was showing at the camera, going, "This will kill me, you, her, everyone." You know what I mean? And he said that why can I be safe to sort of use this? And then when he he spoke of sort of later of like uh, of, of like feeling bad for using cannabis, and you know the shame when he kind of he had to admit or he felt he had to admit, or frankly bravely admitted to the camera that you know yeah he still uses street heroin. And then the camera, the, the reporter with him was like, then the justification of this is that you take this to not do these other things, yet this isn't enough to sustain you to not do the other things. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's, there's so many contradictions within that system. And like, it's, it, we, again, controversial, and I'm going to say this from my side, even though you're the expert and you, you know this, I'm saying this for, I guess, my audience that maybe suffer with cognitive dissonance about certain drugs and that kind of bias. Of mm -hmm. the diamorphine is a very clean drug. Yeah, it is a very, very clean fucking drug on a regular on a, on a regular it's dose. Yeah, and hospitals right across the country every day. Yeah, it's and that it's the image that most people have is decades of propaganda perpetuated by continual governments because of this. I don't quite know. I've got a mil million multitude of ideas as to why it is, but they've perpetuated this narrative so that. Christ, even I remember saying, my, uh, speaking to my own mother about this. She was a quite an educated woman, you know. She's quite well learned and experienced, and very compassionate. And she kind of asked because she saw an intake, uh, an uptake of, of, of um, uh, like housing insecure individuals consuming drugs on her high street. And she was like, "So why do they look like this? Why this?" And had to explain kind of that. Well, actually, when you don't have housing, this is a consequence. When this is something you take of this, this, and just what to us is. Un highly rational and understandable in the same way if a flood took away your house you you yeah. have to then deal with all of your basic survivalist needs in a Maslowian kind of way on the hierarchy of needs and um, but people don't understand how drugs fit into that unless they've taken drugs and even if they have some of them I hear it all the time the people that I know that really struggled with cocaine and the way they'll talk about and I hate this fucking term but I'm going to say it because it's the way they fucking say it smack rats yeah, yeah. you know what I mean yeah, yeah, totally. and, then, and then the other side is then going you fucking crackheads you this you that and it's like it is yeah. the division they've sown between us that stops us compassionately coming together so that they can identify us as humans of know? course yeah yeah and I, I have that same experience you know like having been somebody who took a lot of uh, different types of drugs like powder form cocaine MDMA you know psychedelics cannabis 
in my early in the early years, you know, if you'd asked me like the day before I took heroin for the first time, if I'd ever took heroin, I'd been saying, "I know what, I'll never be one of those fucking junkies," you know, like that would have been how I, how how I would have reacted, you know, and it's not really until later on in life, you know, and I've explored and I've read and I've thought about, you know, uh, drugs as a concept, as a whole, that, you know, like, I've realised that we do, as a community, need to come together, you know, we need to really stop this drug exceptionalism, you know, we need to band together the, you know, all drugs and and their individual forms, you know, have social value for people, you know, like, and, and benefit, and, and some drugs can have medical value for people, you know, like, it's a, it's a real frustration in, in, in minds that, that, you know, that we've got that, that narrative specifically around heroin, you know, it's always seen as this dirty, horrible drug where an actual fact for so many people, you know, it can be a benefit, it could be a beneficial drug because we don't, in society right now, I don't believe that we have have any sort of drug problems really, you know, including alcohol, you know, most dependency to any sort of substance, whether that be alcohol, heroin, uh, cannabis, most dependent use of that where it's causing any sort of, say, um, issues in your life is linked to the social determinants that are around you. You know, it's linked to, you know, your your, your friendships, you, the, the community that you have around you, the, 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 your housing situation, you know, your financial situation. You know, these are the sorts of things that ultimately to, to address, you know, these sort of dependent use of substances that we need to think about. You know, and this is again where I think we are as a society, as a community, as a as as a treatment industry, you know, we are behind other countries. You know, I've visited services in multiple other countries, you know, visited these overdose prevention sites, which are essentially, you know, this is what got me to where I am. This is what got me the, the recognition that that I have running one of these unsanctioned sites. This is what gets my name out there into the media and allows me and affords me the position that I have to talk in the press all the time. But ultimately, these are a sticking plaster on a bigger societal problem, these overdose prevention sites, and the underlying problem of, uh, the bigger problem of an actual safer supply of these these substances that, that needs to be provided to people, you know, rather than, um, you know, an emergency response of, you know, trying to, to stop people dying from illicit toxic drug supply, we should be supplying a, a, a clean, uh, you know, supply to people who 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 need it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's frustrating um, because in other countries, I was just saying that you know when 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 people um, have got these like multiple forms of disadvantage that they present with to um, certain places where they're they're looking for support, you know, the that they can. Here in the UK, the first thing that, that, that a service provider or a treatment provider will normally go into and ask is what types of drugs are you using? How many times a day are you using those drugs? You know, in other countries, they're talking about the first things that they're talking about is, you know, your housing status, you know, your, your, uh, if you are housed, you know, are you you surviving uh, forms of violence in the household? You know, how how's your your social circles? How's your relationships with your families and friends? You know, how can we improve those situations? Because see, when you improve those situations, the drug use can often take care of itself. 
I've got this great booklet that I'll send to you. I don't know if you'll have seen it, but um, it's a booklet all about cannabis as a harm reduction tool. Mm-hmm. It was created by my partner's uh, organisation, which is uh, Metzeneris, which is a women's only project in Barcelona. And it's for women who use drugs surviving multiple forms of violence. And the participants of that, they're a cooperative, they're a community, they're not a service. Uh, you know, like most of the people who work there are, are are participants or have been participants and are participants still of the cooperative and the community. They don't define themselves as a consumption space, but people can consume, the women who attend can consume any type of substance, whether that be smoking cannabis out the back in the patio, uh, drinking alcohol out there, or injecting methamphetamines, heroin or crack or whatever in the small injecting area that they've got, but they, they don't define they're a community-based cooperative. And they created this tool, the participants created this booklet of cannabis, and before they printed it, they went out and they researched uh, the, the academic research around it, and they checked it out to see if what they were saying matched with the research. And it's a, basically a booklet how cannabis can be a harm reduction tool in terms of you know modifying or changing your relationship with other types of substances and they do that with all types of substances because this is what we need to do you know like women who are involved in sex work may you know previously have been using a lot of crack cocaine you know like and crack cocaine or heroin uh, maybe heroin in fact heroin's not probably the best drug if you're involved in sex work you know because you don't want to be falling asleep and put yourself in a situation where you you know, could be prone to violence or rape, you know, we're actually changing and using a little bit of methamphetamine would be a much better drug uh, to use if you're involved in sex work because you're awake and you're, you're, you're aware of the situation that you're in. You know, and this is where we need to get to, you know, we need to get to the point where, you know, we have a recognition and an understanding that, that certain drugs complement in certain situations in life. You know, we talk about Sorry, I'm banging on here, I'm banging on. No, you, you're really not. You're on point. You're very... You know, we talk about these, like, drug set settings, you know, and that's what's important. How are we taking these drugs? Where are we consuming these drugs? And who are we consuming them with? You know, like, if I'm consuming psychedelics now, I want to be consuming psychedelics with people that I trust, people that care for me and I care for them. You know, if, I, if I'm consuming MDMA, I want to... Uh, tested by energy control in Spain and I want to know that it's in a capsule and I'm, if I'm consuming 100 milligrams or 120 milligrams I don't want to be buying a, a pill off the street like in Manchester last week that contains three that on average those pills contain 307 milligrams of MDMA you know like which was ten, tested uh, by Mandrake you know, like I don't want to. I could consume three hundred and seven milligrams of MDMA. And let, you know, like I'm a six foot three, not overweight, but you know, slightly maybe like a half a stone over the the the, the what should be the ideal weight. You know, but I could consume that amount of drug. You know, in one go, I would live. I wouldn't kill me. It's not a lethal dose, but it's far more of a dose than I would want to consume in order to have a good time with friends. You know, I, my ideal dose level for MDMA is about 150, you know, with a reduction if I want to take more, maybe a few hours later, down to about 75, 
um, or maybe even 50, depending on what level uh, of experience I'm having from the first dose, you know. Yeah. So this is where we need to be, you know, like where we know. And, and yes, of course, there's good things in America about dispensaries and people know the exact level of, of THC and CBD that's in the, in the um, cannabis there. But we need that for all. We need that for all drugs. It, it, yeah, I think there needs to be a rational conversation of these things are not artificial binaries. More than one thing can be true and more than one thing can be implemented to resolve these these issues. So yes, there can yeah. be a commercial supply, but without an acceptance that there will be other supplies, especially with things like cannabis that can be chucked up and pulled down like four or five crops a year. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? In a spare room, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to mention what I know about growing coca in the UK because that'll get me in serious trouble. But in terms of the timeframes of various things, it's an investment, but could be done in the long term. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But the same even like with 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 poppies, you know, with uh, opium poppies. It's if people really want to, they can get access to whatever the fuck they want to. I mean, again, this is this is this podcast going to get me in so much trouble on the various platforms that I put this out on. But I don't care. Hi for anybody <laughs> actually that gets to hear this podcast. But the same like DMT can be extracted from numerous amounts of completely lawful substances. The precursors yeah. for innumerate drugs are available on websites that YouTube, I haven't linked, don't strike me again. Um, th they can easily get to their home. And then through a simple bit of chemistry, various things can be turned into other things. That will always happen. You will never be able to get rid of those precursors because then somebody like China, which is actually a question I want to ask you, do you think China's commitment to the US to try to cast, uh, curb its production of fentanyl has led to this other branch of synthetic opioids that we're seeing? You know what, I don't think so. I think, like you say, there's a precursor out there and there's an ability for Google to, you know, make these types of synthetic opioids anywhere in the world now. You know, we've just seen that, you know, the um, the bust of a big fent fentanyl, um, I don't know what you call it, a fentanyl factory or whatever in Canada recently, you know, and I think... Mm -hmm. You see things in Scotland, you know, about the, the street benzodiazepines, you know, the, at the beginning, you know, with the street benzodiazepines, the, the, the idea was that these were coming out from Russia and uh, China, but, you know, the, the, these these benzos are now being made here in, in Scotland, you know, like, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a market here, I don't think any international commitment will make any difference to, you know, the, the, the market and the disruption in the market, it's like when we talk about the war on drugs, you know, we often talk about the last 52 years, you know, because of the, the Misuse of Drugs Act being 52 years old and President Nixon's statement in 1971. But, you know, the, the war on drugs goes way, way back. You know, we talk about, you know, the, the international treaties on drug trafficking in the 60s, you know, then, you know, we can even go back to, I think it was the 1914 article in the New York Times, um, you know about the the you know the the most um, racist you know sort of story that you'll 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 ever see. Obviously, you know at that time, you know the the, the fact that you know people um, from black communities were living through you know probably you know like 
just everyday terrible living circumstances anyway in society in America, you know, with racism. But then you had um, the headline about, uh, you know, Negroes consuming cocaine. You know, like the article was talking about it making them bulletproof. Oh, and this was the justification for higher caliber weapons. Yeah. Higher caliber, higher caliber I rem- weapons. I remember reading that. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. The cocaine was making them bulletproof, and, you know, it was because of alcohol prohibition. So mm. I think they, I can't remember exact headline, but it was something along with, you know, Negroes turned to sniffing cocaine due to not being able to, to get alcohol. Um, and, you know, and obviously, as I say, the article was about uh, cocaine making people bulletproof and, and a justification, like you say, for higher caliber weapons to be available, you know, like, so, you know, we've been, the narrative's been there for a long time around this, you know. Um, so I suppose I, it could could even go back further to obviously British rule and divide with the opium wars, you know, we did under colonialism into China and in and, and, what was fully India, what was now broken in Pakistan as well in the region. It like it's yeah. yeah, it goes back and it goes back and the lessons haven't been learned, but it's it's almost that to and fro, isn't it? This this pendulum of oh, there are enough acceptability of drugs because we're making all the money from them. Oh, drugs are not acceptable anymore, get rid of all the drugs, oh there's too much money being made from drugs. We'll start making all the money from drugs again. Oh, drugs are not acceptable. And it's been yeah, yeah. swinging like that for like four, five hundred fucking years. Yeah. Too long, and uh, you know, and it, it has. It's been ongoing for a long time, and that's the like. Uh, if you ever get the chance, I can send you. Maybe I send you the the, the video um, that like my partner, our um, rope from Messineris talks about. Messineris, I'm saying, is the women's only project. She talks about the uh, in one of her presentations about you know the the the, the plants. Women use plants to co- control their own reproductive rights and. You know, she goes back a long, long time with that presentation as well, you know, like, mm. uh, about, you know, women um, who would be the people who would control the medicines and the plants and, you know, how that was pulled away from them and restricted mm. um, by the elders and the communities and stuff like that. I mean, um, so, yeah, we're talking about, like you say, a pendulum of, you know, back and forward and back and forward. And hopefully now we're, we are reaching a, point internationally because there's good examples now in other countries where reform and changes um you know have not only you know stopped you know like mass mass amounts of people dying and you know like reduce things like um bloodborne violent virus transmission but are also saving those countries and those societies in terms of, you know, like the, the, the you know, the, the cost that's spent on this, um, which is completely unnecessary every year, throwing, um, you know, billions of pounds at this failed narrative that, that drugs are bad, you know, certain drugs are bad, certain drugs are bad, you know, because we've got the, the acceptable ones, and it's like tobacco as an example, I'm, all, I'm seven days off of tobacco today, of cigarettes yeah yeah i'm really pleased about that i'm obviously vaping but i'm really pleased about that because i've done it through i was at the uh, hitler tropics in liverpool last week and uh, we went out to uh for a few drinks the night before and also to the the hip uh the after conference event at the caravan caravan club in liverpool 
and uh, going out and socialising on the first couple of nights after just stopping uh, smoking was good. But you know, tobacco, like it's the most you know incomprehensible drug. You know, it's got no social value. It's got no redeeming qualities or features at all whatsoever. I mean, even for 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 I'm, cannabis is not my thing. I I don't I'm not cannabis. Like, I, it's not my drug, you know, like, mm. but um, even within that, I don't think tobacco has any, like, real redeeming qualities or features, like, um, I think can't, most cannabis users should be thinking about, you know, why do you need tobacco to support your cannabis use? You know, cannabis can quite easily be uh, consumed without tobacco, whether that be smoking just a cannabis joint, you know, can consume as cannabis via vaping, which is you know, directly direct cannabis right into the vape now, yeah. um, or through you know edibles, etc. You know, like there's much healthier ways to consume your cannabis than mixing it with tobacco. You know, like yeah, um, it's it's the it's just adding an element of potential dependency. I mean, if you look mm -hmm. at you know World Health Organization figures for all the quite a somewhat controversial organization, I guess in the past sort of few years. Um, but they basically put tobacco above heroin when you look at the me metadata in terms of likelihood of, I don't like the word addiction, likelihood of forming a dependency. Yeah. And then we look at, I've just, there you go, preview folks, I've just wrote about this for in the next issue of Weed World, uh, talking about Juul and kind of the evolution of what again happened with capitalism, taking the idealists, alleged, I'm being generous here, the alleged idealists of the two gentlemen uh, from Stan Stanford University that started the company, um, obviously they kind of split and created packs and packs have become quite a popular cannabis vaporizer. Initially they were a herbal tobacco vaporizer and they were kind of with the harm reduction ideas and wanting to take on big tobacco. And then they went on this huge journey of effectively creating a, a new market of people consuming a more dependent, likely dependency creating substance, um, than the cigarettes themselves that self titrate a cigarette burns out. You know, you smoke a couple of them, you start to feel sick because of the smoke and the other the other elements within them. Uh, whereas yeah. those little bars, especially once these guys created nicotine salts, effectively a new form of you know it's like the cocaine a crack, uh, but they did they, they cracked tobacco. There's a sentence, um, if you know what I mean. Um, and then made it socially acceptable. They then ran it through you know these Apple fancy style Apple esque style adverts and. Um, have come out the other end being now owned by the same industry they sought to displace and so effectively they've been the best 10-year marketing campaign for nicotine and for the evolution of the tobacco companies to become you know f future proof the same is true of you know shell bp these were oil companies no 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 in the 21st century we're energy producers so now fuck you guys you can't rebrand like it's, it's the same mechanism yeah, 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 yeah. that are happening and yeah i, I think there is Tobacco helps some neurodivergent individuals with concentration. There is a, a correlation of ADHD, people with ADHD um, and things like that where they have uh, an increased, a temporary increased focus. But I think then over a longer period of time, and I say this from my own experience, when I was a tobacco consumer and consumed from like, when did I start, like eight, nine, um, that it would be short bursts. But once I was so used to the substance, it was just a cyclical reduction in the what I would term for myself uh, an increase in aggression at its absence, so it would just be yeah. every two hours I need to fill it. Oh, I'm back down. Uh, oh, I'm back down. Oh, I'm back. And I'd long lost the concentration. I'd long lost the benefits of it. And I think that can be true of any drug that becomes too habitual, especially including pharmaceutical drugs. 
I think most yes. of these, the, the idea of them, they're torn between the capitalist imperative, the quarterly profits and more money, more money, boys, got to keep the shareholders happy. And so they're then creating maintenance drugs, drugs for life, rather than this idea of actually if we give them this short burst drug and they change lifestyle factors, you know, maybe they move from a less polluting area, they move closer to nature, they start meditating yoga. I know these are all hippie things, but change their diet. All of these things that fundamentally, you know, scientifically, provably do impact our lives and our quality of life. Yeah. But it's they don't have the incentive to have that conversation. And I think when we then plug psychedelics into that or cannabis or diamorphine or whatever else we plug into that, it has to be churned through that sausage machine. I don't know what you call a sausage machine. The thing it churns all the meat and pulls it out. And then what we get is th what they will allow and it is self-contained. And we are yeah, not, yeah. Like, unless we were there to put, as you say, to put the stuff in, we won't be represented. And so I think that's why yeah. it's so important. Like people like yourself have, again, as I said in the prelude before we started recording, I want to say finally, but I'm skeptical as hell and I can't help but be because of the time I've spent in the space. I really hope they are listening and what we've seen this year with, you know, Scotland's taking a stance as it, it's, it's tried to for a few years now. Um, and the UK government has obviously kind of said that, I think that what was the language? We won't stand in their way, something like that. Yeah, for the over specifically for the overdose prevention sites. I mean, I think you know more widely. I think uh, in Scottish government, you know, a few months ago, I actually attended this uh, event. It was the Global Commission on Drug Policy, uh, which is chaired by Helen Clark, the former Prime Minister of New Zealand. She's the chair now of the Global Commission on Drug Policy. Uh, people like Richard Branson are involved, and um, Ruth Dreyfus, the former president of Switzerland. So they had an event in Edinburgh and the Scottish Drug Policy Minister, who's really new in post at the time, Eleanor Whittam, uh, she made an announcement and hold, held a press conference at that event where they, they came out with a um, new strategy, document strategy, and, and basically calling for uh, full decriminalisation of all substances. Uh, and within that, that document, you know, they were talking about looking at how regulation could work, not that they asked for regulation of all substances, but how regulation could work, you know, and, and to further into that, um, but at the same time decriminalise everything straight away. And, and this is kind of the political aspect of it again, you know, like, but like you said, it is political, you know, in, in Scotland you've got the Conservatives saying that they've got de facto decriminalisation because the Lord Advocate, the senior law officer up here who controls policing and crime, said that people can be diverted from prosecution for any substances. Now, we don't have de facto decriminalisation. Last year in Scotland alone, over 22,000 arrests for possession of substances, you know, over in a country with a population size of five million people or you know five and a half million people that's a, a lot of people being arrested for possession of of, of substances mm. you know and and although i i back the calls for decriminalization you know of course and as an organization and that's why i'm proud to work for the organization that i work for cranston as a front frontline treatment delivery provider we are the most local provider in the united kingdom you know, we were the first provider to come out and publicly say, first provider providing frontline services to publicly say that the misuse of drugs act's not fit for purpose. You know, that yes, we should have full decriminalisation, that it's not going to support anybody with, it's not going to help anybody with dependency issues to punish them rather than support them. 
and also for the 90% of people who do consume substances where it's not problematic, it's not causing issues in their life, you know, the most dangerous thing for them can actually often be the criminal contract, the criminal record, which can then lose them jobs, it can lose them standing in the community, friendships, relationships, etc., which can then actually, you know, push people into, uh, into more problematic use anyway. Um, so, you know, counterwork to that, but actually, you know, my view and opinion is that while Scotland politically and publicly has this sort of persona of being, you know, more liberal, more wanting to support and help people, what we're actually doing is we are the prime example of um, institutionalisation and over-medicalisation of harm reduction, you know, that's what we're doing. You know, we're taking away the, the actual values of harm reduction, you know, in terms of harm reduction being delivered by people who use drugs for people who use drugs. You know, the values of harm reduction is you will met, be met exactly where you're at. We meet you where you're at. Harm reduction is radical love, you know, like, yeah. and if we were talking about harm reduction as a concept now, it wouldn't be called harm reduction, you know, like, it, 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 it was about reducing harm when it, it first became available, but actually now what we're talking much more about, what I certainly advocate for, is more about um, you know individual rights, you know individual rights, you know, and when we over medicalise and we institutionalise these types of uh, you know initiatives, what we end up with is a small overdose prevention centre in Glasgow, which is going to cost two point three million pounds to run for one year. You know, like we end up with a, a diamorphine assisted treatment where twenty people have to come in and be monitored taking their diamorphine that ends up costing over two million pounds a year. You know, it's yeah, and it's it's just a, a certain lack of understanding. To me, that is as obvious as the thing I keep bringing up, and I can see I've got a little audience in, in Germany, so hi guys. Um, the 25 gram limit over there, they've not gone for an ounce, which is the, the, the social convention of the cannabis consumers. That's what we have regardless of metric or imperial. An ounce is your general, oh, I've got an ounce, you know what I mean? Obviously where it's yeah. legal, like yeah, you're talking pounds or whatever, you guys are living higher dreams. Um, but that's it's, it's, a, it's a misunderstanding. If that, if that, that, that person feels shame, feels vulnerable at the systems that have betrayed them up until this point are then paraded into an area where they've got to perform to get access to the thing that they take to allow them respite from this system to then the moment they consume it, be trapped within it. Is it yeah. is it offensive? Frankly, it's insulting. It's fucking insulting. They go, we're helping them, we're helping them. And it is the epitome of like this white middle class savior complex of just yeah. like, oh, these people. No, you fuckers created this harm and continue to create it. You cannot yeah. fix it. Your removal will immediately start to better this situation. And then once you will look at us as humans and identify with this, because it's, I, fuck, I take drugs. I like drugs. Drugs are drugs. And I openly, yeah. proudly stand on this platform for it and will champion for the people whose voices can't be heard. I've wound my doctors up to the point. My records have got everything reflected on it. I've got all my little notes. I've got everything. I went through different systems. I'm very public, and I do what I do, as I said, to champion for those that if they spoke of it, they would lose their homes. You know, if they spoke of it, they'd lose their jobs. they get caught out in a drug fucking test. I've got nothing for the system to come and take. Do you know what I mean? It's, we are in such a shit situation 
where I've got a champion for people across the place, not just me, others, yourself included, that the more we champion, the more we get indoctrinated almost into this system and removed from the experiences yeah. that ground us. And we need to bring those people up, but they're on, they're, they're too not they're on their journey enough. They're problematic, mm. you know. They're not stable yet. Maybe when they're stable, we'll listen. No, fuck that. They're the people whose voices need to be heard loudest because they're the ones whose experiences are most recent. For all that's not to, to lessen yours, mine, Fiona's, any anybody else that I can think of that works in this fucking space that champions as hard as they do. Mm-hmm. It, it, but it is is to recognise that there is no fucking difference. There is no fucking difference. It's the same as you going on, well, arbitrarily, we don't like people who eat seafood. Yeah. And so therefore, we're not going to listen to people who live near the coast. And, and people who are involved <clears throat> yeah. in that industry. It, it's, that's, to me, again, as, as arbitrary it is, because, again, we, we, we've, under, we've unpinned all of their propaganda. We've used science, decades of academic facts, of observational studies, of information around the world that correlates, regardless of culture or language or region. Mm-hmm. Prohibition doesn't and cannot work it will only ever worsen the lives of the vast majority of consumers in fact i would go as far as saying all consumers because no matter how comfortable my little pot makes me every time i hear a fucking siren or see a blue light i'm still paranoid i'm still scared what's in my pockets even with that pot of protection i still worry about how i smell even as loud and as vocal and who i am and what i do in this space i still worry every fucking day about my plants about my life about my day-to-day is a consequence of the looming fear that they create to keep yeah. me me safe from myself yeah, yeah. yeah. come on come on when you break it down like this it's psycho it's psychopathic it's crazy it is it's crazy yeah i mean the only thing like yeah you've covered all, all of that really i mean the only thing that prohibition does is make it less safe for everybody less safe more worrying for for every every person involved in it you know, I, I, for me, you know, like, as I say, I, I love working for the organisation that I work for because we're doing things that have never been done. I think we're trying, you know, to put ourselves out in the space and we're trying to, you know, do what we can within the current situation while still asking for more and bigger changes to happen and not restricting people like me. Because when I first started working for Cranston, you know, I was worried about how my voice uh, would carry in the sector, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, being really, really upfront about, you know, you know, the the need for prohibition to stop, you know, like we're, we're to, the the prohibition is the most dangerous thing about, uh, you know, drug use, and because this is unusual, you know, and and uh, this area, all these services are commissioned with these contracts, you know, nobody wants to really speak up and and be vocal about you know, the failed war on drugs or war on people, you know, for fear of, fear of potentially losing the next contract or not being considered for the next contract. Um, but, you know, like, what we're doing is we're we're trying to, you know, provide these overdose prevention sites. So we're trying to provide diamorphine to people. But I've already said, you know, like, these 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 facilities are a stopgap. These these types of like, assisted treatments are a stopgap. You know, we need to get to a point where, as a society, just we don't just we just don't have the prohibition because it's the prohibition ultimately that that is the issue. You know, like hundred percent. And you've kind of covered it there. You know, like that's the that's that's the biggest part of what I talk about regularly. You know that 
actually drug use in itself is not inherently dangerous, but prohibition is inherently dangerous. 100%. And then I'd say ill-informed, or mis- mis- I hate the word misinformation because of the way it's been co-opted by our, our current masters, as it were, um, <laughs> but misinformation around drugs. So obviously I think there's been a couple of ecstasy deaths in this country through effectively sodium poisoning. Uh, through the young people that consume too much water because of myths and narratives that were put out um, because of, again, that lack of education, which loops back to it being the, the consequence of prohibition. One thing yeah. I am I am curious about, um, and for all, yeah, we do have some projects here and there uh, kicking around. Do Cranston or is there any sort of moves to then go, okay, if we're going to allow the safe supply on one side, surely it's sensible, even just from an observational study point of view, to do testing, find out what is on the street, what people are consuming, and the, even just a, as we, we know for a fact, the sh- it's, I call it like the, the shandy absinthe paradigm, that if it's just, it's not so much a problem with weed, you know, you get a 5, 10% THC one week, and you're like, yeah, so, so, and the next week it's a 25, whatever. The consequence of that is not that problematic. Cannabis, no matter how much you consume, and believe me, I have fucking tried, it will not <laughs> shut down your respiratory system. It'll fuck you up for days and your metabolism will slow to a point where it'll take you days to process it and you'll be high for days and days, but you will eventually come back from that and there will be no long-term consequences as, as far as my understanding of the science and my own vast experience would, would tell me. But something like you get heroin that's say just over a shandy for a few weeks and you have a tolerance to that. And then the next week you get something closer to an absence. The overdose risk that is there, the consequence of the not knowing is a massive fucking problem. But even just talking to, say, Gary in, in uh, prison last weekend, he was telling us about a new marketing that they're, they're doing at the other prison that he just left. And what they're doing is they're finding that the vulnerable people that consume a lot of spice, synthetic cannabinoids, mm-hmm. and they're getting them to now consume uh, liquid soaked, like paper soaked in fentanyl. And so they're yeah, consuming yeah. them either through like boiled kettles or they're ripping and burning them if they've got access to lighters or using the vapes because they've got prison issue vapes that can put them in there. And it's knocking them for shit. And so obviously when that guy, they have a code blue and they have to come in and deal with the overdose, that sells the product to the other prisoners going, oh my God, that's the shit. That must be good. And it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. You know, there is certain certain substances where you you can consume to extremely high levels um, and there can be vast differences in the, 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 the quantity in terms of the you know the, the active ingredient within that and it's not going to kill you but then there is certain substances out there where you know like a, a, just a, a slight variation in the substances can can be obviously fatal in terms of overdose or or other stuff like you know in terms of like the, the psychological impact of those substances as well um and again you know, I'm all for drug checking services, you know, like, of course I am, you know, like Cranston, we, we are, as an organisation, you know, trying to move forward with, you know, diversion from prosecution, because, you know, obviously, decriminalisation is not in place, so if, 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 at least if we can divert people when they don't get a criminal record, in the meantime, great, um, you know, things like drug checking, uh, sorry, overdose prevention sites, diamorphine treatments, we're moving forward with that. And we're massive advocates, and I am personally of drug checking services. You know, this is what sort of uh, keeps the the market safe in other countries. You know, if you look at um, Catalonia, Spain, you know, like obviously, you know, possession of any type of substance is not 
illegal there, you know, like drugs are not illegal. Um, and what keeps the market safe is uh, drug checking services, you know, energy control, you know, making sure uh, the, the organisation over there that, that, that do the drug checking services. And I'm all for that. We can't have that right now in the UK uh, readily because it has to come with a home office license agreement, you know, in, in terms of where the home office is in the UK government at the moment. Mm. You know, again, uh, you know, we're not looking at regulation or drug checking uh, to a great extent. We're talking about further criminalisation and punishment of people when it comes to you know, the, the UK government and also the opposition UK Labour at the moment. The rhetoric over the last couple of years has been, you know, about absolutely no name shaming people who use drugs, you know, like Keir, Keir Starmer's stance on things like cannabis has been disgraceful. Um, you know, the, so there's not big, big shifts there, but drug checking at least can regulate to a certain extent the unregulated market. You know, if you go into overdose prevention sites or drug consumption rooms in certain countries like Copenhagen, I visited a couple of times over there and they've got on-site drug checking spectrometers where they can, you know, test the substance and they can at least know if there, if there was like a, a synthetic opioid inside the heroin, which is obviously, you know, these synthetic opioids can be 50 to 100 times stronger than heroin, you know, can be instantly fatal, fatal to somebody who's just been consuming heroin and then all of a sudden you mix this synthetic opioid in and that can just kill somebody instantly. So, of course, um, I, I support and I advocate for these uh, drug checking to try and regulate an unregulated market. But like everything else, for me, the bigger picture you know, like as an individual, as overdose prevention site or, or drug consumption rooms, the assisted part of diamorphine treatment and the drug checking services are all just sticking plasters on the bigger issue of prohibition. You know, the bigger issue of if we regulate these markets, we don't need drug checking services. You know, if the, 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 if the market's already regulated. Well, I mean, I mean it's, I agree. To a certain degree, the vast majority of would, but if we look at anything, this government, we love to put tax on things. So I'm not going to name and shame anybody, but I could probably throw a rock from here and hit two houses selling cigarettes uh, that come in from abroad. Yeah. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Um, I used to live in a part uh, briefly in a place called, in, what am I going to name the place? I keep this name and shame, in Washington in the Northeast. Um, where there were several illicit alcohol houses, which were dodgy, dodgy vodkas, to a point of like one of the houses, the guy got prosecuted because somebody had uh, permanent blindness because of the ingredients that were, it was used. It wasn't, it was just, but wherever there is too much of a cost restriction or there is then a restriction because of timing of access or whatever else, there will always be that hole in the market. And I think so that those services will always need to exist, but I, I agree, they should have always and always be the first step. But I think yeah. with testing, if we could do mass testing and am an amnesty and basically get every drug user in the country, and there's a lot of you fuckers out there, well, you know what I mean? Got to be out and proud at some point, <laughs> but I understand why you're not right now. But if we get a sample from everybody that does something and an honest kind of uh, reflection of their drug using, your drug use experience and anonymized in a way, that data set would tackle the propaganda that we live under. We don't have a clue what the drug consuming public looks like. 
You know what I mean? Even, even me, I still have to lie and look how public I am being. I still will not, cannot be honest because of the potential consequences of certain things. You know, it's the guy going yeah. to the doctor and the doctor goes, you know, how many units of alcohol do you drink? And he goes, oh, doctor, you know, just six units a week. And the doctor's like, ha me, me too. We're just, yeah, you know, yeah. we're corrupting all of this fucking data. It's the same for the, med- the medicalization of cannabis through these private prescription systems. The data that they are creating is bastardized because I've had in-person conversations. I'm not going to name you, don't worry. With former one of the heads of one of the groups, the, the, the biggest party in the UK importing and, and uh, distributing cannabis, that they know that 90 odd percent of their consumers are combusting. Yeah. You know, that. how do you then go, oh, well, all these people, these 32,000 people are vaporizing? Well, no, behind closed doors, you know that they're doing this. So then you can't say that the smoking of cannabis is bad, but using our 400 pound vaporizer is. Again, it's, it's, that, yeah, cl- yeah. it's that classist line. That is then drawn there, where science and rationale and logic would would destroy it, but yeah. they have they put it up built based on this this con of authoritarian. I don't say authoritarianism, but a presentation of an authoritative figure. No, no, no. We're better educated. We is the experts. These are the consultants. These are you know the the, the yeah, industry, yeah. and they, they know better than you, little people, and they'll figure it out for you, and you just be happy with whatever they give you. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I, I agree, you know, there's always going to be some sort of underground market for stuff, you know, like, mm. but when we look at the underground markets now in terms of, you know, like the tobacco underground market, you know, primarily most of the underground tobacco market in the UK is still regulated tobacco, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just tobacco that's tax free because, you know, we tax everything so much and that's what I, I get in terms of what you're saying, you know, if we ha- were to have a regulated market here, uh, you know, in terms of regulation, which is goes down a you know a com- commercialized route, um, you know we could end up with over taxation. You know, things becoming really expensive, and then that could create quite a widespread underground market where you know substances are really toxic um, in that underground market because people simply can't afford to go to the regulated market. So it's really important in terms of how we do regulate substances when we eventually get to that point, when that pendulum swings far enough for society as a whole. And I think society is starting to understand more and become more, much more aware that the war on drugs is just a failed political narrative to prosecute and criminalise and persecute certain communities, mm-hmm. which is more widespread now. And those communities are more widespread because more people are recognising you know the social um, and holistic value of consuming certain substances in different areas um, so of course you know i get that and the more testing the more drug testing you know my one of my hashtags is test drugs not people you know because you know that's kind of where we where we're at as a society you know somebody's on a methadone prescription you know they're getting tested to see if they've got any unregulated opiates inside their system and then the per- persecuted these people by removing their methadone prescription which we know you know like any independent or academic study out there will tell you that the key protective factor against an opiate overdose is for somebody to be a methadone prescriber you know in terms of having you know whether they're using uh, other opiates on top or not you know they're still three, more in scotland more than three times less likely to die if from a, an opiate-based overdose, if you're on met, if you're on a methadone program, you know, so 
of course I get all that more testing of drugs the better uh, but you know in, in my opinion like we, you know I mean, we want that data and we need that data and we need to know what's in the unregulated market having the regulated market would actually take it if it's regulated in the right way and not through this massive commercialization would take away most of the risks anyway that's that's my fear for all spoiler alert i couldn't be quite an optimistic um conclusion in the, my latest article that'll be out on weed rose in the next issue um I, I still think that capitalism if we allowed all drugs just suddenly commercially available then all right we're gonna regulate and allow sale and uh, uh consumption that there'll be a tipping point where yeah we'll get rid of the old problems and then ca the capitalism inevitably will create new ones by cutting corners and going well actually if we use this precursor instead of that one we'll save five hundred thousand a year you know if we do this instead of this if we do this it's i can't help but feel that unless we can solidify that that point in the pendulum in the middle and take a screenshot of it a snapshot of it god that shows the difference in language doesn't it screenshot snapshot um yeah. as in generation sorry my brain just went off on one there um <laughs> but if we, if we could capture that that and go well actually this is this is what it is so what is it we need to then the first line listen to the people that currently use drugs what do they need not what we're willing to give them not what yeah, we yeah. think politically will be tolerable what the papers will let us get away with what no fuck any of that what do you need today and yeah, yeah. i can tell you now that the majority of the things they need today are the same things that every fucker else needs it's it's again to go back to maslov it's it's we are quite easy creatures to get the base requirements you know what i mean you make us cold we freeze you make us wet we fucking get more die do you know what i mean you we you don't you starve us we, we die you know you yeah get the basic right and then like you say anything that arises post that is not then a social economic environmental stimuli it is then a trauma it is then a something else if it's then becoming a, what is would be judged at that point a problematic consumption but yeah. nine times out of ten if you were to then understand the the triggers for that individual as to why it's manifesting or appearing optically from the outside as problematic to that person on the inside they may be doing the best they've ever done they may yeah, be yeah. feeling such fucking relief and I, I think this was my uh my troubles i say troubles what was identified by others as my troubles with amphetamine when i was younger and then now they've diagnosed me with ADHD and they're refusing to give me uh, stimulant-based drugs because I used to take a stimulant that obviously was treating my undiagnosed ADHD. It's, we're in wonderful yeah, yeah. little loops here of just that they can't seem to, they pathologize our medicinal consumption and then they keep their safeguarded medical consumption. And there's a strict parameters and it's for single use and single, and it's, they're not yeah, capable they're almost not capable of merging these things merger, yeah it's not. exactly and you know that that's why sometimes where where you know like i sometimes although i think that we should have a fully regulated market my main concern is the capitalism you know the you know the commercialization and capitalism of a fully regulated market so sometimes i think actually you know do we want to sit in that sort of stopgap period uh where you know drug use is just not illegal you know, and we have access to, to, to drug checking services to still just regulate the illicit market, but it's not illegal for consumers, you know, so 
ultimately you know the, the distributors are still the people at, at main risk at that point but the distributors have been willing to take the risk for the last 50 odd years for us for consumers you know that the, but it, yeah i mean what i would love to see from that again my ideal bit utopian in it is that it would create almost like from spain the cannabis clubs organically arose from effectively certain uh, judiciary decisions on discretionary production of two plants per individual in a certain amount of possession and then they went wait one of us allowed that 10 of us 20 100 we're allowed xyz that's a, the collective and so through mechanisms like that the, people could then become the suppliers the producers and it be through it's Again, my, I don't. Yeah, for all, for all, utopia here, right? Again, yeah, but again, for for me, it's 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 trying to avoid the. We don't want to unnaturally bringing consumers of drugs. We don't want to create like the new consumers. So again, like the dual argument of, but they created a whole new generation of teenagers that, frankly, wouldn't have smoked cigarettes. They wouldn't have been exposed to nicotine, but because of the cool little USB thing that they can hide and and get away with, and it's hyper normalization and all the other points that I'm making this bloody article that i've written that if we can avoid that mechanism but still at the same time normalize and protect and start to understand what drug cultures are i don't just mean the the way that they manifest under prohibition but i mean frankly there's not i'm never going to arrive at a point of stabilizing air quotes huge air quotes stabilizing my life or at a point of you know healing or whatever that i'm not ever going to be enticed by the idea of you know some wicked drum and bass and some mdma do, do you know what i mean that's still always i'll then plan for it the older i get the more i'll think about it going oh that come down might be a bitch you know i need what i need it's i'm not as youthful as i was before sort of thing but that's what i'm basically trying to say is that once we've dealt with the pathologized parts of it we have to accept that some people just like to take fucking drugs you know as, yeah. as carl hart argues about you know his, his his heroin use and i think quite eloquently is the it if it doesn't, if it's not having a negative impact, then it's it's fucking fine. There's a billion things you do a day that are far more detrimental. If you live in a big city, the amount of pollution you're breathing into your fucking lungs every day. If you eat McDonald's or drink fucking Coca-Cola or... Do you know what I mean? There's so many other things that are so hyper-normalized in society that, that are killing us en masse, but yeah. the system doesn't even have those conversations with, with us. Yeah, but it shows that, you know, like, we've just had this narrative constantly pranced at us for years now, you know, like, especially out there with certain types of drugs, you know, like, these are a car crash, every single person that takes them is, you know, a car crash and they're, they're going to ruin your life, you know, and that's just the narrative, and if you have that narrative thrown at you, you know, along with, you know, this uh, just say no, this just like, uh, you know, Thatcher Reagan, you know, like uh, drug use, drug use is bad narrative, you know, like it's self-perpetrating, um, you know, that, that, that we think that, you know, as drug users, when we consume, consume these substances, that, you know, we're doing something that's wrong, we're doing something that's bad, and that's still the narrative that we're giving to, to younger people now who are just starting out on their, you know, uh, journeys of, uh, of, of consuming certain, certain substances. You know, and I, I get the same as what you were saying there, you know, like in terms of, you know, as a person who uses drugs, you know, right, right now, if I want to use any drugs in the United Kingdom, I'm really scared to use drugs in the United Kingdom. I'm not a, cons I'm not a cannabis consumer, as I've said, you know, like cannabis is one of the, the few substances that are that's unregulated that can be used without any real sort of, um, you know, potential overdose risks. 
uh, you know, obviously you can overdose and make yourself extremely high, but overdose in terms of like fatal overdose, you know, substances like uh, benzodiazepines, um, MDMA, you know, anything that comes in pill format, we know that synthetic opioids are being found in all these types of drugs now. You know, our only real drug checking services at the moment is uh, Wedinos in uh, Wales, where you can send the, the substances in and they can be tested. And the results are published online. Just for October there, you know, they published a bunch of results uh, for things that have been sold as, ben sold as benzodiazepine pills, and they've all got some synthetic opioids in them. Mm. Uh, you know, so the, the message right now is, like, for everybody who's consuming any type of substances to start low and go slowly. You know, we spoke about the MDMA pill with 307 milligrams of MDMA in it. You know, like, test a little bit of the substance first. You know, give yourself plenty of time for those effects to, to materialise, you know, for the effects of the substances. You know, don't redose them for, for, for a, a, an excessive amount of time that maybe you would redose. Uh, you know, like, I've had that experience when I was younger, you know, taking, you know, what was then referred to as ecstasy pills, you know, taking ecstasy pills and then half an hour into it, like, you're not feeling anything, so you take the other half, you know, and then... You know, then 30 minutes later, you're like completely out, you're not, you know, like, because yeah. you're coming up from both the, both mm -hmm. at the same time, um, you know, but give yourself that time, you know, just, you know, and uh, make sure that you're being safe out there at the moment, because the drug market is now at the most dangerous it's ever been in my 47 years. From yesterday, only from I was only forty-seven yesterday. So, from my forty-seven years on this planet, and you know the the majority of my life being a consumer of one type of illicit drug, because I've consumed every type of drug, but being a, a, a consumer, this is the most dangerous period that we've ever been in in the United Kingdom, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get more dangerous before it gets any better. Um, because I don't think we're at a point where we're going to see lots of drug checking services. We're going to see, you know, access to a safer supply, uh, or you know, for people who are, you know, unhoused and and, and injecting drugs in in public. We're not going to see access to things like you know consumption sites uh, readily available uh, for quite some time to come. Yeah, I think. Uh... Unfortunately, you you are quite right there. I've got a few uh, sort of maybe shorter questions, maybe quick, you know, somewhat somewhat political. I just want to, I guess, my own uh, edification, but also for the audience to sort of learn. Uh, I want to hear a bit more about what's sort of happening with Scotland. So, is naloxone being sort of pushed since there's been obviously this more progressive thing this year? Is it becoming more widely uh, available? Yeah, and you know, I suppose that's one of the one of the worrying things that uh, naloxone, in terms of you know naloxone, uh, I'm sure most of your listeners will know, but just a quick explanation: naloxone is an opiate reversal. Um, anybody can carry it in the UK. It's quite simple to administer, um, and it's not detrimental in any way. If you you were to see somebody out in the street, as an example. And it wasn't an, an opiate-based overdose or heroin or opiate-based overdose and you administer it, it wouldn't do any harm or any damage to anybody. Um, so you, the, I suppose the worrying aspect is Scotland has a drug death rate 
that as high as North America or like Canada or America, um, we've not seen the influx of the, the really strong synthetic opioids. And despite the fact that Scotland has probably one of the most comprehensive naloxone uh, distribution packages in the world, we've still got that high, one of the highest overdose rates in the world. Um, you know, not that I want police involved in any way, shape or form in any area, especially not in harm reduction. You know, like I've said already, the institutionalisation and medicalisation of harm reduction, I think, lessens the value of harm reduction. Um, but often police are the first responders when they're caught, when, when somebody calls emergency services, if there's been a suspected overdose, and every single police officer in Scotland now carries naloxone. Um, you know, it's easily easily distributable and pick up and you can pick it up from pharmacies. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. Um, you can even go online in Scotland and do a simple training and a click and deliver and you can have naloxone delivered to your house. Um, the ambulance service in Scotland, if they respond and they revive somebody from an overdose, they can distribute naloxone to family and friends and the people around them that have called for the overdose. So yeah, great comprehensive naloxone package. Of course, you know, naloxone is amazing. It's a, you know, the more people that have it, the better. And of course, our drug death rates would be so much higher if we didn't have such a comprehensive naloxone package. So it saves so many people. Um, but it, it is also a concern that despite that, we've still got these extremely high death rates. Yeah, um, to sort of put it on, uh, into perspective for people, I uh, made a quick note of them. Uh, and I think actually the reduction that we've seen for all is still astronomically high. The deaths for last year were 1,051 um in 2022 in scotland uh yeah. down 21 percent from 2021 i haven't noted what that was but my smart listeners can do the math out there um 1339 it was the year before yeah and that's i think it's was it 2017 was the was the high like the peak and it's, there's been a, a slight and gradual reduction sort of since 2017 is that related to these sorts of programs well, no, the, the, the peak was, was uh, 2021. That was the highest um, on record at 1,339. Um, the, the, the 2022 figures were the lowest since 2017. Ah, right, yeah. Sorry, I must have misread the uh, the, the yeah. document as I was preparing earlier. Uh, no, thank you, th thank you for, for clarifying. Um, so what do you think that's attributable to? Um, well, I think last year's uh, figures, I mean, like, when we when we look at the years over since 2017, 2018, there was a 27% rise in drug-related deaths. That's the highest percentage rise in a single year since the statistics began. And it's been, like, although you've had little, like, increases, and then last year, obviously, 21% is quite a significant decrease. Actually, I think the 2020-21 the Twenty 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 and twenty twenty one figures. Um, there was definitely impacts from COVID around that. You know, like obviously, a lot of the the services weren't accessible to the same, uh, you know, pre COVID levels. The you know services had to adapt. They had to, some of them had to close, etc. You know, like people. Um, you know, some people. I'm a I'm a massive advocate for 
people to be given methadone on a take-home basis, you know, not to have to stand in a, in a big line in a pharmacy and consume their methadone on site, you know, the same as I was talking about the diamorphine, you know, while I am advocating every day for diamorphine-assisted treatment, I think that's the first step, and then we should be advocating for take-home diamorphine, you know, so people can consume at their own pace, at their own leisure, in their own environments. Um, but, however, there will still always be people who are, you know, at risk if you give excessive amounts of substances to. And there was impacts during COVID by people who potentially maybe weren't at that point where, you know, they, they, they you know, had the ability to consume um, in a way that was, you know, not, not, not dangerous. We're given excessive amounts of methadone, so we've seen some increases due to that. Um, so, you know, there's obviously been initiatives. The Scottish Government invested an extra £250 million pounds and on top of the existing budget in 2021. Uh, that's £50 million pounds extra each financial year for the for the, the lifetime, the five years of the Scottish Parliament. Um, so there's been, obviously, impacts from that investment. You know, there's obviously been the things around the, the, the police carrying the lock zone. You know, there's been a move to get people into treatment. If people are in treatment, like we've spoke about it, if people are on methadone, you know, that's the key protective factor. And there's been moves to, you know, sort of rearrange the system because pre previously people were punished if they used on top of their methadone. I think we're starting to see a change on top of that, or, or a change in that area now. So people are not it's not punitive and people are not kicked off the methadone straight away if they test positive for a, a urine sample for heroin, street heroin. Um, so yeah, of course those things uh, had an impact, but what we've seen is the first half of 2023, Police Scotland have suspected drug death figures and they're usually quite accurate. They're not, you know, they're usually reasonably accurate and we've seen an increase for the first half of 2023 again. So I think we're at a point where, you know, with the current substances in Scotland, deaths have plateaued mm. and they're not going to decrease or increase massively until we see synthetic opioids on a larger scale. And then that will be when, uh, you know, deaths will increase drastically. Yeah. And I am particularly concerned and worried um, about those synthetics, given how high our drug death rates already are. Um, and I think ultimately, if we don't change, if we don't sort out this, because Scotland is particularly bad for it, you know, for the institu institutionalisation and medicalisation of services. And if we don't change that, um, you know, we don't stop uh spending far too much money on delivering things that are really easy and can be delivered in a really cost effective and cheap way um we're not going to see much change and then the only thing that could actually stop our drug deaths or reduce our drug deaths is that there'll just be nobody fucking left to die man that is a unbelievable truth um but it is nevertheless true and it, it leads on i guess to my next question which is um 
uh, which I guess then leads on the next question of, about kind of the reasons and consequences of this. If there is this awareness, if there is, because it's not just us, it's, it's many, many people in many spaces, not just in the UK, but around the world, but just to stick with the UK for a minute, I mean, Suella Braverman, obviously, thankfully, now our former uh, Home Secretary, obviously being replaced by... Uh, James Cleverly. Who the fuck is it? James, James Cleverly. That cleverly, hey, there you go, yeah, because obviously he switched from Foreign Secretary because somehow they fucking pulled the switch and got David Cameron back. It's mental, isn't it? But um, my point is that she made comments obviously about homelessness as a lifestyle and wanted the eradication of tents. And I've always had the suspicion that they keep homeless services or you know disadvantaged services just enough that they can keep almost a line to point at and go, we'll make you that if you don't play the game. And it's a self-justification for the drug war of going, all these people are here because they use drugs. And so, yeah. be, do you know what I mean? It's this, and it's this double-edged sword that they can just swing in a battle and it's so hard to combat their narrative. And now we're seeing it manifest in, a, again, a campaign of dehumanisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously I've seen the comments from Sula Braverman, you know, and like, I think it was pre-record, but before we started recording, you know, we spoke about, you know, the amount of people that have held that Home Secretary office in the last, you know, five, seven years. You couldn't name, back after Pretty Patel, you know, you've had Pretty Patel, I think, at the time, I don't think anybody thought it could get any worse than, than Patel and the you know the rhetoric and the you know the stigmatization not just for people who use drugs but you know in terms of people who are you know trying to flee often um, situations a a war and extreme uh, you know uh, climate change etc you know like people who are trying to seek a better life in a, another part of the world. Um, you know, and the, the, the stigmatization that those people get, you know, in terms of putting them all on a barge, you know, like a floating prison, uh, you know, this constant narrative about stop the boats and stuff like that, you know, like, so yeah, we didn't think it could get any worse and all of a sudden we've got Sula Braverman who's just like the most stigmatizing statements that you, you could ever imagine, you know, talking about fining charities for giving people who are unhoused and sleeping on the streets a tent you know, to just try and keep them warm, you know, like, you know, the, the, even within that, you know, like a tent doesn't have a toilet, you know, people have nowhere to go to actually just have a pee or, you know, like a basic thing like brush your teeth or walk, have a wash, you know, like, but you want to give them a little bit of heat and then they're going to find a charity, you know, and it is that stigmatisation, it's that narrative that comes from government, you know, that connects people who are unhoused and homeless, often with drug use, you know, that then stigmatises drug use even further. And it's just about, turn, it's not just about plunging the knife in, it's about trying to turn the knife, you know, like, but they're not succeeding anymore. I don't think they're succeeding. I think that narrative, you know, is becoming less and less acceptable to society as a whole because people are recognising it's not about drugs, it's not about the drug use. You know, it's not about the alcohol, it's not about the alcohol use, it's about the social aspects of the society that we live in, you know, so I'm glad that she's gone, but do I think the next one, do I think the next one is going to be any better? I really don't know, you know, like, I, I, again, I don't know if we talk, talked about this pre-record, but, 
you know, I don't see it getting any better, certainly not before the next election, because the rhetoric that's out there, you know, it's all about being tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime, you know, and drug use, unfortunately, still is seen as a crime. Well, as you said, it's it's the optics. Uh, something you've kind of you've touched on as we've we've gone that we haven't really spoken uh, of directly is obviously the. I suppose it hasn't. It's it's been signed, but it doesn't go active. I think it's next April it goes active. Something like that. Uh, the nitrous oxide ban. Um, it's some point next year that it's actually the power will be enforceable. Um, but it's gone through its its mechanism of ascent, I believe, at this point. So it is effectively unstoppable, uh, but it's not yet, I believe, enforceable. But that has come from the optics of, you know, TikTok, uh, Instagram reels, whatever else, of, you know, people taking balloons while driving. You know, quite often, not to demonise the youth, I was young once, I know what it was like, but we were lucky enough to not have so many fucking cameras running around <laughs> taking balloons in public and whatever else and again the the optics of it and again a, a small a small percentage not to diminish anyone that has died from it and people do die from it there can be an issue of uh effectively like a bubble that in, in that goes into then your bloodstream and it can then cause a, pr a problem you know to, to to a minute number of people that, that consume it um and so they're, they're using these sorts of justifications of the optics of it and this, this potential lethality of it um, as, a, as a mechanism to go, well, we have to control this. Obviously, they've put it in at the softest measure, as you say, Class C. Um, but one of the things, and this is mainly my question to you, is that was championed by my former head of police force in Durham Constabulary, Joe Farrell. Uh, she recently announced a few I don't know, weeks ago, a month maybe uh, past, that she's taken or she will take up the uh, new head of police force Scotland. Um, so I was just wondering what you firstly thought of that, you know, extension to the, the nitrous ban, but also the implications potentially on the progress that is being made north of the border. I say north of the border because obviously I'm, I'm in sunny old Durham. Yeah. Um, you know what? So did you say that Joe Farrell, the former CC chief constable in Durham, actually championed the banning of nitrous oxide. Oh yeah, uh, did I not mention that in that? But yeah, that's that that was supposed to be my connector, I think. I missed out the connector point. Yeah, exactly. She was the one that championed the same as the new funding for antisocial behaviour based on the association of drug use. Right. Okay, I, I, I have not like it's something that I've, I've kind of been meaning to look into because obviously I'm aware aware that the you know CC Livingston, the former chief constable of Scotland, has stepped down. Uh, you know, there's been some big changes in Scotland, you know, there was uh, Assistant Chief Constable Gary Ritchie, which was, uh, he was responsible for, you know, the drugs in terms of the harm reduction and drugs response. Um, and obviously Joe Farrell coming in as the new Chief Constable of Police Scotland. I seen it the other day on, on Twitter or X, formerly known as Twitter, um, you know, the, <laughs> uh, um, you know, that the, the um, Three female, three female leads in, in Scotland now. So you've got the Lord Advocate for the BNQC, uh, the Director General, which is essentially like the next in charge of the, the policing and crime, um, as a female, and then obviously Joe Farrell coming in as the the female lead of uh, Chief uh, Chief Constable of Police Scotland. I didn't know, I don't, and I've not looked into it much around uh, previous things that Joe Farrell's champion, but I mean, obviously, for, for if that's, that's the, the case, and that, you know, she's 
champion things like moving the nitrous oxide into a, a more into a, a banned substance uh, and some some stuff that she's personally advocating for. Um, that's not that doesn't fill me with with hope. Um, but at the same time, I think where we are in Scotland, I don't think there's going to be um, much arguments in terms of further criminalisation of drugs as a whole. You know, like the government and the ministerial office of the Lord Advocate, because so, the Lord Advocate is a kind of funny situation. The Lord Advocate is the senior law officer, and policing and crime is fully devolved mm-hmm. in the Scottish Parliament, has already talked about diversion for all classifications of substances but we cannot decriminalise because the Misuse of Drugs Act is not devolved to the Scottish Parliament that's still a UK Westminster controlled act of law um, but health's fully devolved, policing and crime's fully devolved and this is actually I suppose it's not answering your question I obviously I would have concerns about Joe Farrell if that's our previous sort of stance around stuff but this is something that we've not spoken about, which has just came up for me, and it's something I think is really important. Like in, in the UK, the rest of the UK, drugs are still in the criminal justice uh, area, where in Scotland they're not, they're in health. Drugs sit, policy sits in health. Now, first off, everybody would think, okay, that's great, you know, it's, it's not a criminal issue, it's a health issue. But in actual fact, it can be from, in my opinion, and this is purely based on my own own opinion here, like um, p- pitching drugs as a health problem can be as much as a, an issue as pitching drugs as a criminal justice issue. Because for most people who use drugs, it's not a health issue. You know, for the majority of pe- people who use drugs, it's not a health issue. Actually, the health issue is when you remove the drugs from them. You know, because it's the 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 the, the drugs that, that actually create the social environment and the health around them. You know, um, so I think we need to be very careful, and that's a political stance. That's a political choice, a political choice being made by the Scottish government to say drugs is not a criminal issue; it's a health issue, which then stigmatizes drugs again, because everybody that takes drugs, it's a health issue, and they need treatment. It's just not the case. Most people don't need any form of treatment. Yeah, and I think it plays perfectly into this pipeline of, oh, pay £6,000 and you can have a ketamine infusions. But if we catch you with ketamine with a festival, we're going to go extra hard on you. You know what I mean? I, I did Boomtown for like six years, seven years in a row, back when it was cool. Yeah. I, I say that jokingly. I haven't been in many years. Uh, back when it was smaller, once it got too large, social anxiety can't deal with that size of group, no matter what drugs I'm on. Um, <laughs> but the... the the evolution of kind of uh, the drug consuming public in, in this country has always been kind of reactive to, to policy. And I think that, again, we have to recognize the hedonistic, egoic, just rah, drug use. That's a lot of people. That is, a, whether you like it or not, that is a lot of fucking people. Yeah, uh, yeah. There are certain people that may be more susceptible to certain things, but these are not the substances. We have to remember the substances are neutral articles. We can plot what they should do in vitro, in an average environment, etc., work out the medium response, blah, 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 but there will always be extremes of the bell curve. And we can't pathologize that and then create all of that solution. Same with alcohol. We have a basic idea and structure of it and you know technically the licensing act said it says it's unlawful to serve somebody who is intoxicated on alcohol 
yet they, they do it to a certain level. They get to judge it based on it, and then you can cut somebody off. This, 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 that's not a health issue for all the consequences of consuming alcohol. Then the majority are a health issue if you then actually look at the statistics and whatever else. But the, mm. there's a spectrum, is what I'm saying, is that drugs need to fall onto that same spectrum. It can't be like too much alcohol, that is a criminal issue. But you being pissed on a high street, generally, you will get some form of discretion for being a dick. Like you put a cord on your head or you're drunkenly having a piss. Yes, you've committed a public order offence, but there will be more of an understanding towards that based on the environment and everything else. That's not your problematic. We need to pathologise you, remove you from your life. And almost by, it's like the double slit experiment in like quantum physics. It's like it's the observation of it then changes it. Whereas yeah, if it's just yeah. an, ab an aberration of drug consumption one night, they wanted to take this drug at this festival, they wanted to do whatever, they may never take that thing again. But as you said, the environment in which they take it, the responses to it, etc. I think that's why music festivals continue to thrive no matter how much they try and charge people for the fucking tickets. Is yeah. it's, it's a guaranteed space that you go okay to do that. As long as you can sneak your drugs in and, and you're subtle with it and whatever else, you can all play the game and be like, oh, the utopia of we all get to take drugs and nobody's judging each other. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, it, totally. that needs to be adopted rather than again. That's the same to me as the wink, wink doctor about the units of alcohol you're drinking or the not smoking your your prescription cannabis. It's painful to me because it's all lies and half truths. I want to be fucking honest. Yeah, yeah, totally. Again, I, I I agree. I completely agree. And it's like the health the health thing is a really big one for me. You know, I speak about it often because what we're doing there is we're just making a um okay for the Scottish government to continue to over medicalize everything because when it's a health issue then it all sits in the NHS. You know, the prescribing services all sit in the NHS up here in Scotland, the diamorphine treatment sits in the NHS, the consumption facility that Glasgow's about to open is going to sit in the NHS. I mean two point three million pounds for one year to run a small consumption room. It's absolutely mental. I mean you could run, you know, three or four facilities in Scotland for that same cost if it was just restructured in terms of how it's delivered, and it would, it would have exactly the same safety, exactly the same, you know, ability to, you know, offer people the the the, the help and the support into mm -hmm. the other organ, other types of help and support that they need around the house and around the social the social determinant stuff. You know, there's no actual uh, more, there's no more benefit to running these mm. facilities like the way that the Scottish government are running them. And the diamorphine is the most uh, frustrating one for me. Like Nicola Sturgeon said in 2021, just after I met with her in the Scottish Parliament, that there would be widespread access to heroin assisted treatment throughout Scotland and the funds would be made available for that this financial year. So that was April 2021. We've got no more heroin-assisted treatment than we had to nearly three years ago. And there's one site in Glasgow. Now, Cranston as an organisation delivered diamorphine treatment in England, and we are doing it at a third of the cost of Glasgow, like literally a third of the cost because of the, the, the way that it's structured and delivered. Now, we've presented this model to Scotland on various occasions to the previous drug policy minister, spoke to Nicola Sturgeon about it, uh, spoke to Angela Constance, 
about it, spoke to the current drug policy minister Eleanor Whitham about it, but because of the way that they're medicalising that, you know, that's never been taken forward. So frustrating. We're again, it's if they move it from if it's in a criminal realm, they can't listen to the drug users. They're criminals. If it's yeah. in the medical realm, we can't listen to these people. They're patients. They're ill. Yes. It's it's, it's there's there's always a, a fucking way they find to remove our voice to hear our words and our arguments and somehow run it through this machine in their brain and it go oh here's how I can make money from them here's how I can continue my supremacy here's how I can continue mm-hmm. to yeah. inculcate and indoctrinate and force them into feeling less than somehow yeah. not as entitled as others because of the manifestations of their desires to consume certain compounds. I don't judge you if you want to eat a 12 box of Krispy Kremes a fucking day. Yeah. I don't care. Exactly. I, I wouldn't exactly. because I know what that would do to my, my health or what I believe it would do to my health. I, I don't yeah. think about what it'll do to your health because that's your yeah. fucking shit, not mine. And well, that's, that's, the kicker, that's the kicker, right? See where the kicker is, whether we put it in health or we put it in criminal justice, both, both of those things cost just as much it makes you know, money like, for them the consultants and the yeah. system and the man and it, it self exactly. it self justifies we need this extra money for our administration and for our offices and bureaucracy to administer justice to protect yes. the public it's so fucking orwellian and painful yeah. and i have so many compatriots and comrades in this space that are just cannabis drug exceptionalists that are yeah. going to skip over this episode. I hope you haven't. Thank you if you fucking haven't and you've heard this. Because to truly yeah. understand the argument is there is no difference between a crack pipe and a bong. Get at me. There's just yeah. not. You may say this, that, the other. If you could give me examples of individuals of, of things that you've seen in your own life. But I put it to you that if you were born them, raised as them, lived as them, and acted as them right now, you would fucking be them. You would be facing the same persecution. You would understand why they act as they do because it would just be what you would do to survive. It's a it's a bullshit system that they've got us attacking each other. When, as you say, it's it's it, it's whether they realise it or not, whether there is a grand conspiracy or not, those seeking to help at the top are making the situation fucking worse. <laughs> yeah, and the only way that the only way that we're going to come together is if you know to 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 sort of I suppose come full circle from where we kind of began is if we come together as a community. You know, like. I'm gonna see my drug exceptionalism is I don't like cannabis. I'm telling you right now, like I don't like the effects of cannabis. I don't like the way that it makes me feel. I don't like the psychoactive experience of it. However, you know, I like the psychoactive experience of other of other drugs. You know, and I like the experience of other drugs. But there is no way that I would advocate for heroin or MDMA or two CB to become a substance that is legal because of my experience and because I like those the interaction of those drugs with me while saying, ah, fuck you, you're a cannabis user, like, I don't like that drug, that that drug should be illegal, you know? Yeah. And we need to come together. And that's, how, that's how, how things have changed in other countries because drug using communities have bonded together in a common purpose to fight for our own rights and bodily autonomy. Yeah, man. Uh, I... I couldn't agree more and i've been advocating this for a while within the cannabis spaces that we have to look outside because all of the effort and the best intentions of some of the most wonderful people i've known across the world in this space are just building the bars of their future prison 
the, yeah. the, the, the systems are already manifesting, they're already investing and in, in controlling every outcome. And they've yeah. t- co-opted our language, they've infiltrated our ranks, and they are moving us, marching us, sleepwalkingly into reform, legalization, these buzzwords, these phrases that are actually not going to equate to your freedom. All they're going to yeah. really equate to is maybe a bit of token limited access, but ultimate increased financing for them, a stronger authoritarian position, a resurgence in the concept of the war on drugs, the war on us. That's what I think we've never got closer collectively than we are right now to having the wider conversation of going, whoa, 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 right. So the Canadians are saying there's no such thing as a safe limit of alcohol and that it's comorbid in at least nine cancers, that it's got a dependency rate of da 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 Yeah, that's cool, and we're leaving that there. Yet two weeks ago, they're raiding Dana Larson for fucking selling mushrooms. Yeah. Like, like it, it's when people then go in the uk and they go okay so let's look at these drug deaths let's have a fucking look at this and you go oh tobacco shit alcohol shit you go again if we put sugar fucking sugar is where it should be as a drug do you know yeah. what I mean? even like caffeine is consequential in terms of the deaths that it can cause it actually being fatal there's much many more things that we need to to understand that is if you look at again what a drug fucking is you look at an oxford dictionary definition of a drug being something that has a physiological psychoactive effect that's yeah. every that's every fucking thing. And to some things, people to their drugs, to others their foods, to the to to me like an essential medicine. Like you say to yourself, yeah. somebody doesn't like cannabis, but what I've always respected about yourself, and I told you this, is that you don't care because you understand the fucking argument. And that's what I respect and, and really admire. Is that people like yourself that can get the you know what I don't need to. Like, yeah, I have dabbled in cocaine here and there. It doesn't quite for me, I get to a certain point and I'm like, no. Done. Same with yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. Cocaine's one of those things well. Like it's like you have to redose with cocaine every like and it's the cost of it. I'm 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 there. I'm I'm doing the math. I'm just more aware doing the math. And probably because your ADHD brain and being assessed for autism or whatever, as I've said, amphetamine, like not hyper normal. I'm just ah grounded. I'm like I don't know if there's an episode of Future Armor where Fry drinks three hundred cups of coffee and he hits the, the three hundred coffee and the world just slows right down and he can just move through it at super speed. That's what amphetamine feels like to me. And again, I can understand then why they're using um, uh, different molecular structures of amphetamine-based drugs for treatment of ADHD because it quietens my brain. It slows me down. It gets good. So this, yeah. this, this, I mean, this things is... like Adderall was an example, you know, like Adderall should be readily available to people, you know, like it heightens senses, you know, it like gives people an ability to to work better, to, you know, communicate better, to, you know, be able to deal with life, you know, when life can sometimes feel like people can't deal with it, you know, these types of substances, you know, there's so much potential for them, but at the moment we're not recognising that potential. It... I think it's the other thing we've got is, is the loss of society. I mean, I often describe it. Me and my mate talk about this this often, like real often. And I always say, I think it's the loss of myth, of narrative, of of a grander vision within not just the UK but the, the West in general. Like my generation, we ain't getting married, we ain't having kids. There's no inclination. Yeah. There is no desire or drive there. Most obviously, yeah, we kind of gravitate together. But most of the, my friends and the people that I know of my age. Unless it's an, uh, sorry, an accident and they're kind of almost get guilted into it by family or there's some instant resurgence of the, the Catholic or Christian upbringing in youth 
they tend to be like, no, I've, I've, this is not my life. This is not what I, I want sort of thing. And I think the society needs to form and change around this. And we look at in the past three years, no, the past five, I'm trying to get the stat right. In the past five, no, it is three years. In the past three years, we've lost 32% of, of night night venues, music venues uh, in the UK. We've lost, what we, we were at 20 pubs a week were closing prior to COVID. God knows what that's yeah. going to be now. The number of cafes, social spaces, the drugs are not the fucking issue. When people have a problem, the drugs help recalibrate. They help give you a break from it. Like me and my mate many years ago, we used to do blues and blueies, which was we watched Blu-rays and take Valium. And it would be a relax. We'd relax together, and I would basically he had issues with other sort of substances, and I really enjoyed that experience. But I didn't really have enough of an excuse to do it in my own life, and it just became a, a really good twinning of these things. It became really positive experiences for both of us, and it wasn't until then adulterated supplies and literally hearing about people going, "Now nah, that one's a fifty, and that one's a four or a five, like mill," and you're like, "What?" and you're like it's okay didn't then have the the same kind of reward or space for it and i think that an education and awareness and i've been lucky through all of that that always having cannabis was my base but if you then yeah. took away cannabis that's when i went to other other drugs i mean when i i'm needle phobic and i had a massive problem with like dental pain for a couple of years i nearly overdosed on several prescription drugs because i just kept getting the tolerance with one drug and go fuck i have to switch off an opioid and go to this i have to switch off this and try this and yeah. and again it's it's the drugs that i'd never have ever seen they're just tools they are just fucking tools in the same way my body goes i am hungry and i go oh, what for body go in the kitchen oh this 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 and you i know what i need or want in that moment and i can speak of it like this and people may judge me for this and i don't give a fuck about it because it, it, it is the same thing for me i know what my body wants and if prohibition and the propaganda and all that bullshit was parked away on one side of it there would be no different than my preference of going and getting a pizza or going and making this for dinner or having that. It's That's what it should be down to. If we then find consequences in that, we create regulation, we create education, we invest in funding, improving these suspicions, these theories, so we have an evidence base from which to move. There has yeah. never been an evidence base for drug policy in the UK, ever. No. No, and the evidence is not... Uh, like. Uh, Evidence is not the thing that's going to change people's minds. You know, it's the emotions. It's the emotions that's going to change people's minds. So I think that's that's what I tend to to to, to try and focus on. You know, the emotion of being somebody who's been punished and criminalised for my drug use. You know, who's used drugs in a way that's not been conducive with uh, being healthy or productive in life to now being a person through the education and the love of harm reduction has an ability to use drugs in a way that is conducive if I want to and when I want to, mm -hmm. um, but only because of the, 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 the people around me and the settings that I, 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 I take those drugs in, you know, like, um, that's what's going to change, you know, that emotional aspect of it, you know, the, and even if that's the emotions of, People not having to pay lots of money to send people to prison, um, you know the taxpayer, you know like because the taxpayer, people who pay taxes in the UK are paying so much more taxes than they need to pay if they just change the way that we approach drug use as a whole. Or even better, those taxes obviously, yeah, I'd like to see a reduction, uh, but can be put to, to to better uses in society. So. 
again yeah. tr- have that twinage that when the drugs that realign you as i was sort of saying before is that you can then go from that back into society so as a consequence of that i noticed say confidence was was helping us around a time when i was quite agoraphobic i then found that as a consequence of interacting with this substance every week uh in a regular sort of basis with this individual that then i was able to kind of go out more i was kind of able to, to do more and i think yeah, yeah. that it's again as we were kind of alluding to is that People have to be free to experiment and to understand how things work and that one's experience cannot dictate another's. And I think yeah. that's where we, we have to get past with this. We we are, a, even, I'm a northerner that doesn't drink, so there's still a great suspicion of people when you go out and you're like, you want to party? You're like, no, no, no. I'll, I'll have like, I think I had a drink at Christmas last year, maybe. Like, it was, it was a token thing, but it's literally like one or two as an almost, the social convention, it's, feeling welcomed in the same way i imagine some people do when a joint's going around and the oh, we'll have a couple it's because you want to feel included you want to feel it's that yeah. commu- that community thing and i think that's what we're missing is that while we're all online and doing everything our commons our social collective spaces are being erased i mean yeah. through hostile architecture as a way to deal with with unhoused individuals you know the war on drugs to I mean we need to get rid of public toilets you know terrorism yeah. we need to get rid of bins in parks and fucking all these other things and all the economics were shutting this and that and it's we need to be out together to see that we are not a threat to each other and they've got us so wound up and believe in this shit and no matter what drug you take if you take it in isolation it's going to have more of a negative impact than if you had did it with others because there's a self-titrating effect with all of these yeah. things there's a self-regulatory thing and i say this or you should at least get your education and your sea legs I think in most drugs in a social setting, dependent on the drug, obviously things with an overdose potential, you should work together in pairs. But I mean, I personally, I take like a lot of psychedelics and 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 uh, things like yeah DMT mushrooms. I'll take MDMA out into the woods and I'll go spend like a week in the woods, build a shelter, and and I, I've learned to know how to handle it and do that through the introduction that I had as a youth. Do you know what I mean in those experiences? And I think it's we have to create that social mechanism of harm reduction that is organic it naturally evolves in the same way it does as a pub where you know dave's had too many in the barman guns cut him off dormant like i'll keep an eye on him you know somebody's already outside pulling him a taxi you know the mic guns you know our lads will get you some up from the chip shop on the way home and it's all that potential thing that could have gone one way is immediately handled in a way that nobody thinks of it there's no judgment there's no nothing there is just it is what it is and i think if we can apply that mechanism to other drugs then all of society will benefit economically like socially in terms of the the expressions of humanity that people have whereas we all treat each other with such suspicion because frankly more of us are taking drugs than ever before in this country we're all i mean everybody i know that goes out goes out out now and you're going out out is a couple of bags you know what i mean and it's a huge market for for cocaine at the minute because of again coca ethylene there's not really much understanding of what is then happening with that and what that mechanism may be treating. And again, yeah. to me, it's it's an awareness problem. If you are aware of our current reality in this country and the state of the world, I think you've got a higher propensity of wanting to use drugs to escape it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that's 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 some of the base for taking drugs anyway, isn't it? It's about a bit of escapism. It's about getting away, you know, changing re- your reality. Um, you know, and I get that that whole psychedelics thing as well. You know, like that's a 
uh, a nice way to change your reality and uh, have some lovely experiences. It's a good way to really find yourself as well. I often yeah. will take intention, this is going to sound very hippie-ish, take intention or a question into like pipe work. I've got a sort of ceremonial pipe, and whether it's Chango or DMT or whatever it may be, take something in into the experience and then nine times out of ten I've, I've kind of made up my mind it's like the trick of you know flipping flipping a coin if you've got two, a decision you need to make there's like two options you know as soon as you flick it what you want the result to be so that's what you really feel it's kind of the same sort of thing but there's a i, I personally feel from my experience I, I go through a mechanism of being able to really ascertain what i feel and think about this certain thing uh, i think there are certain substances especially when taken in conjunction with cannabis uh, uh like fecal extract oil at high dose which can be psychedelic i think in, in its own self gives you this kind of real locked in introspection i think it's the same kind of benefit that people get from ketamine and, and the k-hole experience is the cessation of other neurological and physiological activity that forces um, I think the the superego, the the thing beyond who we think we really are, and our quietened impulses, and and we're just kind of stuck, processing, looking at in some way, these manifestations of, of our own, of ourselves, our own interpretation of ourselves, and then come out of that experience, whether we know it or not, with a rewired neurology, with open because they're both like neuroplastic agents. Uh, cause neuro uh, sort of hemispherical connect interconnectivity so parts of the brain just start firing off in different ways and i think it's there's something massive in that to people being able to just go oh, i don't want to do this i don't want to do this. just it's a, re a complete rewiring um and i i again worry massively with the psychedelic renaissance as we were talking about before of the medicalization of this is that it's not, we're going to guide you through this i mean i've had experiences that at one time i guess maybe would have made me believe in not a monotheistic god, but maybe a deityistic kind of example of a god um, or manifestation of one. I've had experiences that have left me fully atheistic, like completely devoid. And then I'm generally on an, an agnostic kind of spectrum, but not to a belief of any of the preordained religions. I think that uh, the Jainist or Buddhist concept of like Akasha and all experience being out there is something I sort of ascribe to. Um, and the life is god in all of us i am god you are god everyone is god but that is not the one god hiding in all of us the fact that we are alive i mean there's a a line in the is it the oh, i can't remember what the hell book it is uh it's from is it from hinduism Upanishad book i think and it basically states that uh it's talking about like brahma the eternal like the the, the godhead and it, it's basically saying that the about poem it's not that which the eye can see but that which by the eye can see not that which the ear can hear but the but that which by the ear can hear know that to be brahma the eternal and not what you hear adore um and it's basically the idea is to not get lost with what is that's not the the, the thing the thing is that it is not what it is that it, that it can be do you know what i mean and i think that's what psychedelics have taught me and grounded me to and i've had such humbling experiences you know i've partially told my lsd story on here where i had a complete meltdown and went through all of these transformations of different animals and that's how i kind of basically became vegan um and yeah i, I think that they are powerful tools and, and substances but we have to have 
a certain awareness and understanding of what they are and to not allow ourselves to be drawn by others. You know, if you've ever read like Chaos, the book on uh, Charles Manson, if you've ever looked into MK Ultra and what the CIA did with LSD or any of the extended Sandoz experiments, they basically were trying to create a weapon of influence, a drug of influence. And again, for the Manson family, he weaponized LSD, is Charlie Manson. And so I worry that whether they intend to or not, they'll be imprinting from the medical professionals, from the spaces they create, from their procedures and processes that will drive the experience and thus the outcome and if they are you know man say something or whatever and they go oh no no to this or whatever it, do you know what i mean it can it can mold the experience and thus the outcome and maybe that's just my personal suspicions of a of real terrible experience of several of the authoritative mechanisms of apparatus in this country over many decades but i just again worry that we we need to be free to, to express ourselves and if that's me you know camping shirtless and with around a fire with mushrooms chanting that's that's medicinal to me that's my medicine that's my medicine that's yeah. my shit that's where i ground myself i find myself that's where i feel human enough to come back to this bullshit these concrete cages and these games that we play and these lies that we tell and without yeah. without those experiences I don't fucking know. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's it's I, I don't know how I would deal with, with the world around me. But if then the system goes, <gasps> we're suddenly going to legalize psilocybin and you can come and spend two grand a session and you're allowed one mushroom and we're going to measure your, your body waves and you're going to be under this fucking light. You've got to wear this over your eyes and listen to our music. And like, that's torture to me. That is an idea of fucking torture. Yeah. And that's, that's that old comes again, that sort of out with that over institutionalization and medicalization of things you know and i think that's why we're always going to see there's going to be a, a some sort of underground market because people want to have their own experiences and, and and do these things in the in the way that they want to do them without any commercialization or state state surveillance it's rituals there's something in us about the ritual listen to anybody that's like smokes cannabis or whatever they'll tell you about the rolling of the joint or the packing of the bong and their process and their favorite light of their bong their rig their they have such an augmented attachment in that they have the emotional love of these things that they can't express and manifest in these objects and it because they, they sit there with pride and it's a it, do you know what i mean the whole thing is self-reinforcing they are parking part of their humanity into it dealing with whatever they fucking got to swallowing what they fucking got to not rising to whatever they are not allowed to rise to and having to play the game they have to play coming back to that and in that that ritual that prepping the needle that prepping your fucking pipe that doing whatever it is that you do that you stepping back into where you are grounding yourself into your humanity and for another, I want to fucking cry here, man. And for another fucking, <laughs> for another human to step to, to step to that and go, no, you're yeah. doing, you're doing that wrong. While with a cigarette and a pint, going Friday night, lads, Friday night, lads. And yeah, the, the, it, and again, I'm not being a, it's a, a, a drug supremacist or fucking whatever. It's, it just breaks my heart that to me it is so blindingly, painfully obvious. No matter the drug. That it is the same thing of grounding, of reconnecting, and the pomposity, the arrogance that in 2023, with all the things that we're learning and doing on one side of the world and in one phase of reality, 
that we can't have this rational conversation that billions is now being made that, that millions cumulatively probably over the world are going to be described these things now that you know that markets are altering that fuck there was a german company approached the taliban to grow cannabis over fucking there so in a world where yeah. they could potentially go from opium to then growing cannabis like if we're going to do give the people their ritual give the people that want to grow their one plant outside that every morning want to go and fucking it off and have that grounding connective experience to nature you can't deny that if scroll that up again and this is going to hurt some of my fucking cannabis only audience listeners the prepping of the fucking needle, the, the 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 whole thing of it, the little kit. I mean, I was a self harmer for many years, and I remember vividly telling my uh, um, psychiatrist about I had a special kit, my little zip zip little pack, and have certain uh, razors, different fucking like had a gold plated one that was fucking you know double serrated, so it's sharper than fucking shit. You know, you'd have a smaller like the pencil sharpening ones and different braids and, and the whole thing of it, and the, the explaining the comfort. Of just knowing I had that somewhere and I could go back to that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's yeah, you know, yeah. you've got your little thing and it's you have to hide it because we have to fucking hide these things and wherever it is, you know it's there. There is it's somewhere across the vastness of the human experience, there is something that you have that comfort in. And again, yeah. to me, that we can look at that as another human. It's it's like children going, uh, give you a blanket. Like it's so just fuck you. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. No, I get you. I get you, man. I get you. Yeah. There's high levels of frustration. Mm. Um, but we'll get there. We will. We will indeed. Uh, okay. Let's try and end this on more of a positive note, then, because yeah, I've I've let my emotion get the better of me there. But it's it's I, I rarely get to speak on other drugs on this platform, um, because there's so many other things I want to talk to usually about other guests. Whereas this, what I've always pre- again appreciated about yourself sort of coming on is being able to teach people that otherwise wouldn't think of these things to maybe have an opportunity to learn again from lived and living experience and from these conversations and to go away and do it as always your own research and just start thinking in a different way and as i say if we can get ourselves to come together and recognize that it is those that would seek to arbitrarily to incorrectly to immorally inflict their prejudice and preference on us they are the enemy and only in that ideology i don't mean that in their humanity they're still people at the end of the day and i don't know what damage has been caused to them for them to take such a fucking stance what pays in their pocket to make them take such a stance but it is the idea that needs attacking not the fucking people we need less of this bullshit of us attacking each other as people it's ideas and concepts we need to talk this shit out um yeah yeah so uh, that being uh, that all being said, um, two final questions for you then, Peter. Where can people keep up with your work? Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm quite uh, active on social media, mainly on uh, Twitter, uh, a little bit on Instagram, um, and it's uh, Pete Pete Kaikan OPC for Overdose Prevention Centre. I've never changed it. That was what kind of first got me into the space and gave me the voice. Um, I work for an organisation, as we've spoken about, called Cranston. Uh, people can Google Cranston. They can find out more about the work that we do, the advocating that we do, uh, the drug policy reform um, campaigning that I do specifically through the organisation. 
Um, so yeah, you can you can find me online quite easily, uh, just by googling my name, and as I say, googling the the, the organisation's name. Um, yeah, that's the main main areas. Excellent. I'll uh, include links below. Uh, I should be alright with Cranston. Um, I, I've had a few issues. I've had a couple of warnings off YouTube because of some links to people's websites around the world that I've linked to for illicit activity, which is fucking jokes. But apparently, I can do some online little course now and i've got to watch seven slides and youtube will, right. will lift my restriction won't you you bastards so at some point <laughs> i'll sit down for their propaganda um but yeah i'll include the links uh that hopefully youtube will let me uh below and i suppose my, my final question here is what does the future hold for you man where where do you think uh you're, you're going personally professionally well you know like i'm really happy with with cranston you know like obviously i've been uh with them for quite some time but over two years now you know like we've spoke already just this year alone you know i've been afforded the opportunity to go to you know lots of different countries australia mexico mexico you know america denmark france belgium spain you know working on uh looking at international best practice when it comes to drug policy and harm reduction and promoting cranston as an organization and you know, I'm happy in my, my current employment. You know, I'm on a full-time permanent contract. You know, I'm on a, a, a reasonably good salary. So, um, and, and you know, I see my future being with Cranston for quite some time to come. You know, further afield, you know, uh, I, I, you know it's, it's difficult to project into the future. You know, like, I'd love to see, you know, like, uh, ready, ready access to drug testing and, facilities overdose prevention sites you know i'd li like to be maybe able to work specifically in those areas again you know i would like to be frontline at some point you know working directly with people who, who use drugs i'd like to be talking to people about educational stuff around drugs you know around taking drugs in a in safe environments with people that they trust etc you know and, and making sure that the, the experiences are safe and sound for people you know as we hopefully change uh, people's emotions and, and and move forward with uh, reform as a whole. Excellent, excellent. Great answers. And I, uh, yeah, I wish you the best in all of it, brother. And I do hope, like I said, Scotland continues its trajectory and we can continue to see these honest conversations happening and that, yeah, hopefully this little island of ours can, uh, can get caught up because it's costing a lot of people their lives literally and... Yeah. Uh, ruining lessening dampening destroying many more yeah uh, so yeah, yeah. Res respect totally. as always for everything you do brother thanks man it's been really good to chat likewise man likewise appreciate you taking the time uh yeah i'll include links to everything below i'll let you get off now and i will do some housekeeping and uh yeah i'll drop you links uh when it's edited and ready to go next week or the end of this week end of this week <laughs> amazing Cool, man. Yeah, I better get on. I've got uh, some meetings coming up this afternoon. Uh, it's a pleasure to chat, and I'll uh, look out for it coming going live. Excellent, excellent. All the best, brother. We'll speak soon. Take care, mate. Thank All you. Right. Cheers. Peace. Bye. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. That was Peter Crykant, uh from Cranston. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed that chat. Uh, I know I say that every week, but yeah, I really do enjoy these conversations, and I think it was a, a rather poignant one uh, this week with Peter um yeah uh yeah, 
I would get pigeonholed, I guess, as a cannabis podcast. Um, but I'm really, obviously, human rights, the human experience. It's it's more about sort of my life, as it were. Uh, obviously, cannabis plays quite a big role in that. Uh, but so does drug consumer rights and sort of prohibition abolitionist kind of ideology, um, beliefs and actions and activity. And so it's a space that I keep uh, quite an eye on. Um, is other drug law reform spaces and i think peter does some fucking fantastic work within it so it's been great to catch up with him for the first time in a couple of years at this point um so yeah really yeah insightful good to catch up on sort of what's happening um up in scotland with with drug reform there uh, i'll include some links below as well to some relevant materials as well as to the links we've just discussed with peter um but yeah i hope you guys thoroughly enjoyed that i shall not keep you much too longer um yeah if you really like this please do give us a, a like a share a rating a subscribe all of those good things on whatever platform you are enjoying this wonderful thing from and uh yeah if you really really enjoyed it check us out on patreon.com forward slash the simple life uh where for less than a cup of coffee a month you can help me keep the lights on on this little project of mine and keep uh yeah us going forever infinitum which i'm gonna do anyway as long as there's a conversation to be had and my mental health will hold out we're gonna keep having these conversations so uh yeah really appreciate you taking the time as always folks uh really hope you learned something new here so yeah, you can keep up with us uh, everywhere at the Simple Life uh, on social media. Simple Life website will be back soon. Fingers fucking crossed. I am still at war with Squarespace. Highly recommend you do not build your website with Squarespace. All right, folks, we'll be back next week with somebody. I don't know. Be awesome. You'll love it. All right. Peace and love, folks. See you next week. Well, there you go, folks. <laughs> as soon as I fucking up one. Okay, okay. Let's go. Let's go.